This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the information, the tools you need to grow a healthier, happier life. You know, we could just give you the news, but we're also going to go in a little deeper on the headlines that you uh, you hear all the time. Today, interesting, we're going to be talking about gun legislation. President Obama came out with um, with, uh, with uh, an executive order, I guess, and is what executive we're calling Executive action. Action. Executive action. I mean, as if, I mean, everything he does is an action. Right. No, there's a legal difference okay. between the two. And... I heard a long, boring explanation. Of you, it. So, yeah, there's a difference. And you sat and listened to it, which is very good for us. It's my job. Um, so we're going to be talking about kind of the personal side of guns with a, a friend of mine, a good, a great guest. He's been on. He's actually, I think, one of the first guests on the show. Mike Schlappi will be joining us, who has, a, has an incredible story, has, was accidentally shot by a friend in high school, paralyzed. And uh, he's going to be joining us in a few minutes to to talk about gun legislation. Also from a family of hunters as well. So interesting. A lot of times we 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 don't see the, always the personal impact of all of this. But we'll we'll be talking about that in a few um, moments. But uh, first, happy hot pastrami sandwich day. Mm. Huh? Are you big into pastrami? At times. Oh, let's, yeah. But, ha- I mean, it's not my first go-to. So. Oh, no. No. <laughs> it's kind of heavy. If it's there. I mean, if it's there, you got to eat it. Uh, happy Organize Your Home Day, too. Actually, it's not happy. It's just to organize your home. Yeah. Figure it out. Not really a happy thing. I'm going to share that with my wife. Our basement is a mess. Really? Just all the Christmas stuff is just sort of piled in a corner. Well, get on it. I'm like, fix that. Like, then, when you go home today, why don't you she'll look, she'll look at me and go, well, because it's hers, and if I move it around, she'll come down and say it's in the wrong place, and then, you know. you know, <laughs> yeah. no, totally. Because next year, she'll want to know where everything is and be able to drag it back out. Right. I'll do it wrong. Man. So maybe I, maybe I should offer to help her with her. Okay. You know, it sounds a coordinated like you, effort. It sounds like you guys need some coaching. We're kind of working through something right now. Come on in. We'll we'll have a little talk. We'll have a little talk. You and the misses. Hey, uh, they just announced Oscar nominations. Are you big into this? No, no, I'm not either. I mean, it just seems like more reasons to celebrate. It usually ends up being a bunch of movies I haven't seen and have no interest in watching. So uh, apparently, The Revenant is yeah. is kind of running away with twelve nods. They've got twelve nominations. Apparently. There's some great performances. The bear did a great job. The bear? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard to get a good bear. It's more of a, I mean, the Leonardo DiCaprio apparently yeah. has a great performance. The uh, the director, he shot the entire movie in natural light in the outdoors. Yeah, so There was, was no cool. stage lighting that at all. That looks neat. So that's kind of a cool element to it. But I mean, I'm sure, it, uh, now we have four lighting experts unemployed. Correct. Thanks. Constantly, I'll watch these movies and go, "Huh, that was pretty good." But does it deserve, you know, best picture of the year? I don't know. How about uh, have you seen Joy? No, it's Jennifer. About, it's about a mop. It's about a mop. 
Spoiler. Joy Mop. And um, Jennifer Lawrence won, got another nomination. That's four nominations. She's only 25 years old. Yeah. She, that's the record. What the heck? I mean, I'm 46. I feel like I'm done. May as well just shoot me in the pasture. Make me into glue. Still kind of ticked off. She doesn't want to be in any more X-Men movies, but, you know, whatever. Whatever. Uh, She's like, I've done that. And I go, yeah, but you could continue. <laughs> don't don't put the brakes on. The nominees for Best Actor are DiCaprio in The Revenant, Matt Damon in The Martian, Michael Fass, Fassbender in Stephen Jobs, Brian Cranston in Trumbo, and Eddie Redmayne in The Danish Girl. There you go. The nominees for Best Actress, Kate Blanchett in Carol, Brie Larson in Room. A lot of, lot of one-name movies, I guess. Uh, Mark, no, hold on. Best, where are we? Best actress, uh, Sa- how do you say it? Saris Ronan in Brooklyn. Jennifer Lawrence in Joy. Charlotte Rampling in 45 Years. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not that, I mean, remember, I just barely started watching movies. Yeah, I understand. So. Uh, three or four years ago, I forget which, which year it was, but there was one Academy Awards where all the best picture movies, I had seen every one of them. Really? So it was very interesting to me. That was a great – see, yeah. Then you could enjoy more than just the gowns. But yeah, but I was interested in each movie. Yeah. Whereas most years there might be one and yeah, okay. Hey, so Sylvester Stallone made depends. it too, by the way, in the Best Supporting Actor. Oh, good. So, you know, all's not lost. What? I don't know. Okay. Um, and another one, Inside Out. Yeah. Best original screenplay. There you go. Well, see, I'd rather Is talk the, about this the than Avengers? politics. Was the Avengers uh, nominated? You know, interesting. Or? The Avengers wasn't nominated for anything in the top like ten category. Weird. Yeah, I mean, they're the per- kind. Of, I think they're just anti-superhero. They could be. Or, yeah, that's not maybe known for its acting. Because my son just watched the second. Yeah. Avengers movie, The Age of Ultron, he thought Hulk had a very award-winning <laughs> performance in that movie. Uh, uh, Good th- job, Hulk. <laughs> every every time Hulk does something, he's like, that was awesome. I always found that the Hulk was always overacting. A little bit, a little bit. I felt like he was like... A little moody. Uh, that was a little over the edge. A little moody, a little dark with his performance. Isn't that sad? Yeah. Hey, uh... Actually, pretty awesome. Here's some sad news for you. Alan Rickman... Yes. A- A.K.A. Snape. Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber. Die Hard. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. He was the bad guy. The, was the, he? The head I of the did terrorists. not realize that. It was a long time ago if you look at the picture of then and now. But, many, many then years ago. Then. But Snape, is he passed away. Yeah. That's sad. Is it sad that I haven't seen any Harry Potter movies? Yeah. I have never watched them, never read the books. You've watched every Avengers, every Absolutely. sci-fi crazy weird thing. Yes, yes. But you you haven't watched Harry Potter? Nah. Man. I Kids on bad. broomsticks. Eh. Playing Quidditch or whatever it's called. Yeah. Trying to catch the snitch. Just not not a thing. I just got the <laughs> nod from Ben. So Never caught on my wife. I keep asking her, do you want to watch? She goes, I tried to make it through the first one, and I fall asleep every time. Do you really? That's her. Oh, your, your wife, your mother. That was Freudian. Yeah. Um. Well, anyway. I'll bet my mom would fall asleep, too. (laughs) (laughs) You know, notice how we I've intentionally not talked politics. Yes. Or Powerball. Oh, Powerball. Three winners. Yeah. So if you live in Florida, 
Tennessee, Southern California. I check your Powerball numbers. You may be the numbers yeah, four, four, eighteen, nineteen, huh. 27, huh. 34, huh. and the Powerball number yeah? ten. Oh no! <laughs> I was nine. Boy, yeah. five hundred million now, each about. About eighty, apparently, like eighty-three people will win a million dollars. Okay, that's that means today there's like eighty-six new millionaires. Now, this is something I want to question you about. Just give yeah. you okay. have you kind of assess the mentality okay. yeah. of this. Clip one, if you could, there, Ben. These these are people. Outside the 7-Eleven yeah. in Chino Hills, California, yeah. cheering on the fact that the ticket was sold in their town. So they're cheering on the fact that they're all losers. I guess. But they all flocked to the 7-Eleven where the Powerball ticket was okay. sold. They were taking pictures of the machine that printed the ticket. That's the mil- yeah. They were posing with the night clerk that was there that may or may not have actually <laughs> been the person to sell it. I the think ma- I sold that ticket. The guy that owns the place showed up because the news cameras wow. were all there. So he could- why? So I, I don't understand why people were flocking. Well, hit, hit clip two. Here's a woman that was there. We heard the news and so we came down here to see who the winner was. Yeah, it's not. It's not well, us. <laughs> you think they're just going to pull up in their Chevy? So you win the Powerball. Yeah. Do you immediately drive back to where you purchased the no, ticket? No, I'd never go there again. <laughs> you don't have to. No, I'd have my people do <laughs> You'd it. You'd have someone at that point, right? You'd. Hide. It was just this. That is weird. Everyone and people were like, "Not much happens in Chino Hills, so this yeah. is what well, we're I mean, going to do exciting, tonight." It's exciting, but do you celebrate the machine? That's what they were doing. People were like posing with it. But they've also they're all they all lost. I. I get. I don't understand. The winner's not out there in the crowd celebrating. At at one point over the last week, they were selling ten thousand tickets a second. Man, across the nation, See, people the, spent uh, a, over a billion dollars. In this it. is why I don't like Lotto, though, because that means sure there's eighty six millionaires, but there's probably eighty two lives destroyed. Maybe divorces will now be. But this caused. this mentality of flocking to the place where the yeah, ticket was sold. That's weird. That's kind of weird. Yeah. That's kind of weird. Hey, uh, let's get to the headlines. Anything going on around the world, Terry? In other news, the Republican presidential candidates meet for their sixth debate of the campaign and first of 2016 tonight, and the last one before Iowa, so there's some importance to it. The main debate before leading uh, it starts at 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the undercard starts at 6 p.m. Eastern. Both debates televised by Fox Business Network. The network also announced it was partnering with cable and satellite providers to unbundle the Fox Business Network, allowing it to be accessed by more subscribers regardless of their cable subscription. So oh. if it's on a higher tier that you yeah, don't yeah. have, they're going to let you have it tonight so you can watch. Thank you. Because it's on this network Thank that you. not everybody gets. That is nice. Though it's on mine for some reason. Hey, by the way, Rand Paul not going to play in the undercard. No, he's not playing at all. He, he, he realizes the... It's stupid. Well, it also says you didn't cut it, and nobody wants that to be on their resume. Little little, little trivial fact for you. Yeah. The next Democratic debate. Yeah. Also in South Carolina, Sunday night. You know what they want? If they want a better turnout, they ought to hold it at the Chino 7-Eleven. A lot of people were there. Tons of people. They're excited. Easily excited. About 31.3 million people watched President Obama deliver his last State of the Union address on network and cable How many? TV. 31.3 million. Wow, that's like the first debate. 
the small the smallest audience recorded since ratings uh, Nielsen started keeping track since 1993. Interesting. Or 1980, yeah, 1993. So the smallest audience. That's weird. Yeah. It says State of the Union ratings have been in steady decline over the past two decades, gathering less than half the audience they once did in 1993. 66 million people watched President Clinton's first address to a joint session of Congress. Mm. So double the audience watched. The previous record low was 31. A million viewers last year. The ratings count the 12 networks that carry the address live. They're saying that, well, there's more people watching online and in different places other than just on their television. So maybe that's causing a dip in the ratings, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Hillary Clinton's lead over Bernie Sanders is narrowed to just two, a two-point margin just weeks ahead of, the, of Iowa's uh, February 1st caucuses. A new Des Moines Register Bloomberg politics pullout Thursday showed Clinton had dropped nine percentage points in the last month to 42 percent, while Sanders had gained one point, rising to 40 percent. Clinton's lead now rests within the poll's margin of error. So basically the the race is tied in Iowa. The tight race, however, is not due to a sudden surge in support for Sanders, nor, pollsters say, because Clinton's campaign is somehow doomed. No. Rather, the shift can be attributed to a jump in the number of likely voters who haven't made up their minds. Well, and don't you think? Lotto tickets. And lotto tickets. I mean, people are busy right now. They're busy. They're buying lotto. Uh, Armed militants occupying a federal building in Oregon, my friends. (laughs) <laughs> I love this story. They say they will announce their plan for vacating the structure at fr- on Friday night at a community meeting. Oh, they're going to announce their plans to vacate. Their exit plan. The protest- protesters who refuse to leave the wildlife refuge for nearly two weeks say that they take issue with federal ownership and land area. The group led by Ammon Bundy and Sons. Okay, so. So is, is the protest almost over? It's all. Well, Maybe. There's an exit plan. They said before that they wouldn't – they'd stay there for as long as it takes to get federal land back. So are we – this is like Rancher Palooza. <laughs> I guess. And so they're going to announce when <laughs> Rancher Palooza so on, is over. On Friday, this okay, nightmare good. will end. Yeah. Also, uh, cable news channel Al Jazeera America announced yeah. in a, an all-staff meeting Wednesday that it's shutting their doors April 30th, just two and a half years after going on the air. You were just telling me that how, how you look at that every once in a while. That's a great – Source. They do some long form yeah. sort of reports. It's that go not on. like everyone always thinks it's just terrorism. No, the, support the the parent network in Qatar. They they had some uh, associations with not associations, but they ran the Bin Laden tapes. Mm-hmm. He would send them to there. They've also had some anti American sort of uh, sentiment in some of their reports. Yeah, and Al Jazeera America has pre- been pretty straight with their reporting and just they have. You know local, what they lacked? They that? lacked like a Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. Well, for some reason, Al Jazeera couldn't land a They Rush couldn't Limbaugh. get people to watch. They, they yeah. averaged about 20,000 viewers a night, and you can't yeah. stay afloat We're very – yeah, U.S. is about personality. Uh, uh, other analysts say the news was attributed to the impact of falling oil prices, and so Qatar is really impacted yeah. by that. And that kind of cut the uh, – along, along with negotiations looming with cable distributors who are reluctant to carry low-rated channels like mm. Al Jazeera America. Okay, well – that's sad. Another one down. Hey, um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk uh, up close and personal with a good friend of mine, Mike Schlappy, um, who has a very personal story about uh, handguns and the dangers of handguns. When we talk about guns, we usually talk about gun violence, right? And everyone's afraid of the gun violence and, you know, are they in the hands? So we want background checks and who's, you know, are they in the hands of criminals? We'll talk about that, but a a pretty large percentage of gun deaths actually come from suicide and accidental deaths. In fact, more deaths um, are attributed – in fact, about 62 percent of gun deaths are suicides. And then um, 
there's other deaths with guns that are just accidents. Kids playing with a gun. Um, it's sad. And uh, joining us in just a few minutes, we're going to tell you the real-life personal story of a hero of mine who uh, he himself was shot as a teenager by a friend accidentally. We'll tell you his story so you can see the other side of the gun issue. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we hear a lot about uh, about gun control and the gun lobby and the NRA and then President Obama and his new uh, executive action um, to basically have better background checks. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of issues that surround guns. And a lot of us are afraid. We don't want... We don't want handguns, and we don't want all of the crazy, sad stories that we've had over the last few years. You know, uh, everything from Sandy Hook Elementary, San Bernardino, the shooting there, Charleston. So, guns. They're scary. And uh, something needs to be done, right? But one of the things we, we sometimes fail to see are some of the more personal stories behind a lot of these situations um, like I was saying before the break, the majority of gun deaths every year are suicides, right? Um, about 62% of gun fatalities uh, are suicides. Um, about 35% would be homicides. So when you think about it, um, in the end, it's a, it's, it's a big deal. Now, there's also people that are injured and shot in accidental shootings. So we wanted to bring in um, somebody that, that kind of knows the story, not from the legislative side, not from the NRA side, but from uh, the victim side. And he's a good friend of mine, Mike Schlappy. He is a, he's a motivational speaker. Um, he is a Paralympic. He, if you ever, if you watched the opening of the Olympics in Salt Lake City, Mike Slappy was one of the, the final um, bearers of the torch into the stadium. And uh, so, Mike Slappy, good friend, welcome to the show, my buddy. No, thank you, Matt. Yes, you are my buddy. I appreciate that kind introduction. Thank M- Mike, in fact, you were, I think, the first guest on this show many years ago. <laughs> do you remember that? I do. I came to your studio, and I think your ratings have went up ever since. So <laughs> yeah. I want some of the credit. Thank you. I think you were actually the first person to swear on BYU Broadcasting. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Did I ever apologize? I'm no. sorry. We'll give you a shot right there. There you go. No, Mike, you've, I love your story because um, just how you tell it is amazing. And But, okay, so when Mike Schlappy hears the word guns or gun control, when you hear all the talk about gun violence, first of all, just tell us what goes through your head, and then I want, I'd love you to just tell us your story. Well, when I hear the word gun control, uh, confusion goes through my head. There's just so much legislation, so many opinions, so that's more of the intellectual in my head thing. But just in my heart, it's just a little more personal because I was one of those statistics that got shot by a gun. Mm. 
And, you know, at the time I was a kid and I didn't know all the gun laws or didn't even care. I just grew up. I'd do a little hunting, do a little fishing, go in the mountains, and I enjoyed the activities and the hunting, but I never thought that one of those guns would be pointed my direction and change my world. So it kind of did alter my emotions around guns, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. You were a hunter. I mean, you were used to guns. Oh, yeah. You know, besides sports, I'd look forward to the opening of pheasant hunt or fishing. Well, you don't shoot fish with guns, but I'd, I'd <laughs> look fish forward hunt. to, you know, going out and hunting deer or elk. It's kind of the Western way, and it was just a great tradition. So I was not anti-gun at all growing up. I mean, I'm still not anti-gun. I'm just aware of the damage they can do if they're not correctly used. Yeah. And it's um, you were you were what, 14? I was 14, almost 15, just on my way to football, stopped by my friend's house. Uh, we started messing around with his dad's police gun. His dad was a policeman, and so he had his little off-duty pistol that you know, kind of hung around the house there. And Nobody's home. My friend pulled the gun out. It was a 38 revolver. Mm. Anyway, he thought he took all the bullets out, typical empty, empty gun story. And just three feet away, just thinking he had an empty gun, two kids messing around, pointed it at my chest, pulled the trigger, and... And, you know, bam, hit hit my spine, paralyzed my legs, and, yeah, changed my world. I'll never forget. The first time I heard you tell that story, you talk about how you fell on the bed on, like, a satiny bed spread or something. Uh, Yeah, I probably changed the stories over the year, but but it was a white bed spread, and the bullet physically knocked me back onto the bed, and then I kind of realized that uh, this wasn't a joke and this bullet had hit my spine and my legs wouldn't respond and my lung was collapsed and I uh, was scared and my friends freaking out and I really thought uh, that was the end of it for me and I, I you know so that's I have these strong emotions to that I still remember that loud bang you know mm-hmm. somebody will slam a door by me or even if I go shooting traps or something anyway loud abrupt noises still kind of remember remind my mind of that moment Oh, does oh I mean it, and then you called your mom right? Uh, I, yeah, I couldn't get to the phone, but I'm luckily my friend got his wits about him, and he eventually called my mom, and she rushed around the you know, street. I was just five houses down the road, and she ran into the bedroom, and there I was. Oh. She tried to assess the situation, and you know she 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 doesn't wasn't worried about my leg she just remembered seeing a hole in my chest and was kind of trying to figure out where's my heart mm-hmm. where's mike's heart you know and uh i think she realized that uh you know i was still alive so the bullet hadn't hit my heart but she called 911 and they rushed over and took me down to the hospital and here i am 40 years later so <laughs> yeah still still creating problems for your mother still kicking yep <laughs> <laughs> is um because we, we see that and we hear that. I mean, that, that had to be – I mean, I've talked to your mom about it too, that it's just so – it's just like your worst nightmare. And and yet we see these stories every day with accidental shootings. But then we see, you know, the school shootings and it, it's something – we've got to do something. I mean, guns can be very valuable and powerful and, and, and safe, you know, providing safety. But they can also they, – they can create terror. They, yeah, I mean, you know, a gun isn't like a, you know, a bat. If somebody hits you with a bat, you might have a broken arm or be maimed. But a lot of times if a gun hits you in the wrong place, it's pretty final. You know, it's kind of like getting in an airplane wreck. It's it's not like getting right. in a fender bender. Yeah. Some things with guns are just, 
And I think that's one of the reasons they create such strong emotions is just they're this little thing sitting there that looks so harmless, but when it gets pointed in the wrong direction and the trigger gets pulled, it can do a lot of damage. Mm. And the damage really wasn't even just um, – it wasn't just you. Talk about so, – so what was your recovery like? And then tell us about the boy that shot you. What happened to him? Well, yeah, I mean, my recovery at first is just, you know, am I going to live? And this whole new world of being paralyzed and uh, doing things different. And, you know, it takes four or five months in rehab, and then the rest of your life things are different, to be honest with you. But that's my world, and people see me in a wheelchair, and I, you know, they help me open doors or whatever they do for me, and it is hard and it is different. But my friend, if you were to see him or I've been to lunch with him, you wouldn't even notice that he carries around a different kind of a problem because of a gun. Mm. You know, he grabbed the gun, we thought the bullets were out of it, you know, and so he he ended up getting kind of, it stressed him out, their family moved away from the neighborhood, he ended up getting in trouble with the law, he actually tried to rob some banks with some loaded guns. <laughs> oh, wow. He had learned some lessons about guns, yeah. but anyway, yeah. and uh, he ended up going to prison for 25 years for different related things, but I think this situation possibly kind of pushed him in a a bad direction right at those critical teen years, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's his life's coming unwound. Yours is unwound. Uh, you were a big basketball star. You were a student body officer, right? A class officer. Yes. You, you, the girls loved you. you you'd <laughs> put them on your lap and dance with them. Man. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely changed my world. I kind of had an identity as an athlete. I, I, was kind of a tough guy. I mean, I don't know. I was a sports guy. I mean, You're I was a stud. In my world. Everything I did, I did with my legs and my body. And and all of a sudden, when you take that from me, well, and that's the question. I don't know. Was it what took it from me? My friend or the gun? I don't know. But anyway, it went away from me, and it uh, you know made my world just harder in some ways. And uh, I had to adjust. And it was hard for my parents. It was you know if you think about it. Matt, I, this didn't just happen to me. Hmm. I mean, when I got shot, I had no idea this happened to my future wife, my future kids. This didn't just happen to me. It, it ripples down through generations. Anything does, whether it's an addiction or an accident, oftentimes it'll ripple through the, the generations. So the more we can do to try to prevent these things, which is hard to totally prevent, but, it, you know, I mean, do, do I wish I wasn't shot? Yeah, of course. Yeah. But am I glad to be alive? Yes. Yeah. Do I hate my friend? No. Do I hate guns? No. But this shouldn't have happened. Mm. Is there, um, as you look back, and we'll, we'll, we can come back and, and get into this deeper, but is there, in a way, too, it, it made you who you are, right? It made you, because you, you're also a gold medalist. How many gold medals? Or how many medals? Uh, two golds. Two golds and a silver? Two golds and two bronze. Two golds, two bronze. And um, in in the Paralympics, you you're an incredible basketball player. Uh, you take people on. I mean, the problem is you also you're not afraid to like to like do a crossover that breaks people's ankles. <laughs> it breaks their axle. It breaks, <laughs> it breaks somebody's. Yeah, have oh, you ever you had know, a crossover that broke your axle? Wheelchair basketball has been huge to me, and I have been fortunate to compete in the Paralympics and win a few medals. And and so you know, I mean, life's been good and different and normal, whatever you want to call it, but 
yeah, when I first got shot, I laid there and thought, I'll never play sports again. Mm-hmm. But I was fortunate that some things existed out there that I was able to still compete in and test my talents in. And, uh, you know, yeah, I've loved the game of wheelchair basketball for many, many, many years. I still try to play. And uh, anyway, it's a great yeah. game. Tens That's really cool. You still have to dribble. It's it's the same thing. It's just on wheels instead of on shoes. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I mean, honestly – in a way, it's got to be you got to be better because you, you got to be ripped. But you you know when you're pushing yourself around. I mean, I've seen you. You've got some serious guns. <laughs> guns. And yeah. we're oh, no about pun today. intended. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> Only Mike Schlappy can you make a joke like that? Hey, uh, Mike, hang on a sec. I want to take a break. Come back, but I want you to teach us. Um, there's a paradox here, right? There's there's two ideas that seemingly contradict. You still love. You know, some of the things you can do with guns, hunting, you love kind of the sports side of it. You're also a victim of guns. Um, I, I, we, I just want to open up a dialogue with you and find out what the rest of us are supposed to be doing. This incredible battle going on. Most of us have an aversion to guns, right? They're scary. And yet um, we've, got to, we've, got to make, we've got to make them safer. We've got to create safer laws and simultaneously understand that they're they're good and there's a lot of good stuff that can come from them and I need your help in that discussion. We'll have more with Mike Schlappy folks when we come back. Uh, you can go to his website mikeschlappy.com. Mike Schlappy S C H L A P P I.com. You can book him as a speaker for your organization. Um, great stuff. He's got a he's got a, also a great book uh, called Shot Happens. And uh, it's about his story and his, and his, you know, taking his life back and, and leading all of us. We'll take a break, folks. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. To the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, joining me on the phone is Mike Schlappy, and you can go to his website, MikeSchlappy.com. He is the author of, uh, of a couple of books. One is called uh, Shot Happens, and um, the other book is, uh, what's it called, Mike? Bulletproof Principles. Bulletproof Principles. Um, Mike has an incredible story. He was shot in the chest by a friend accidentally as a teenager, playing around with the guns, um, but he also was a hunter and uh, still goes and shoots um, skeet and trap. And he uh, – it's got to be a weird thing for you, Mike. You you sit here and you see gun tragedies almost every day on the news. Um, what's it like I – mean, to me, you're, you're, you'd be a great role model for families who have lost a child uh, to gun violence or accidental shootings. Do you do you have many experiences with people as you're out and about doing your speaking? Oh yeah, you know there's so many stories out in this world as you probably know. I the first kid I ever met in a wheelchair had been shot with a shotgun in Idaho. So I was in Utah, he's in Idaho, we were the same age. Was he with Dick Cheney? <laughs> no. Just checking. <laughs> I don't think he was out and okay. with Dick Cheney. Okay. Yeah. We'll leave that for other politicians. Yeah. But, you know, I I run across stories all the time and I'm happy to help. You know, everybody copes and deals with things differently. I'm not sure if it matters if it's a car wreck or a gunshot or an mm. accidental fall or whatever. 
when your world's changed, um, sometimes you band together. But yeah, if I can help anybody, I'm always happy to give them my perspective. And you, um, one of the things I love about when you're out speaking, you talk about your gold medals, you talk about your uh, bronze medals, but then you also talk about your lead medal. My lead medal, my bullet. Yeah, I, when I speak, I obviously I put my Olympic medals around my neck, and then I kind of as a surprise, I have one other item I'm going to put around my neck. I'm going to let it take an equal place in my life. And so I pull out the actual bullet I was shot with that spent two years in my T10 vertebrae. And I put it around my neck with my medals, and I think it's just very, oh, I don't know what the right word is. It's just interesting, this thing that closed so many doors in a different way opened some doors. So oh. I'm not recommending accidents or... <laughs> disabilities, but sometimes these things can open new opportunities for us. Yeah. If um, So if you could sit down with the president or any of these, any of our politicians that have so polarized the gun issue, um, I mean, it's, and it's, it's natural. Some are so, you know, pro-gun, some are anti-gun. Uh, I found it really interesting that President Obama was talking about Mrs. Obama um, I think when they were in Iowa or somewhere, she said, man, if I were in Iowa in the middle of a farmhouse, in the middle of Iowa, just off a freeway uh, where anybody could enter my property and come up to my house and I'm minutes away from a police station, I, she, uh, Mrs. Obama said, I'd want a gun too. I'd want a shotgun. What would you, what would you want to, to convey to, um, to our politicians about that guns are good and bad? Yeah, I I would just convey what I wish we would do with anything in life is try to have dialogue, try to find the balance, try to be educated, try to realize that Texas and Utah and Alaska and Idaho may be a little different than downtown Philadelphia. Yeah. You know, where you're all living on top of each other and there might be, you shoot a gun and it goes through the wall and kills somebody over there. I mean, bottom line is, is states' rights, in my opinion, become so important because you can't legislate something that works properly in Alaska versus downtown New York. It's, mm. it's a different animal. And yet, with that, we do need to make sure that crazy people aren't getting a hold of guns. And, you know, and this is just my opinion. I'm not an expert, but I'm not sure somebody needs a, a machine gun yeah, right. at their house. But yeah. I also think that sometimes just a little... Uh, you know, just a little butter knife won't quite do it if there's a crazy running around. So, you know, you could – gun laws are confusing, but I would encourage politicians to uh, not approach it from a fear-based thing and from trying to concoct a bunch of statistics that scare everybody and whatever, but just sit down and see the truth. You know, Matt, I don't blame that gun for shooting me. I don't blame my friend for shooting me. I don't blame my friend's dad that left him at the house. I went to the house. I chose to be on that football team. I walked into that bedroom. So so I don't know if the blame really matters, but we just have to take a look at things and try to find, you know, just because people die in car wrecks with alcohol, a lot more than people get shot with guns. We haven't gotten rid of cars yet. Right. We haven't gotten rid of alcohol yet, but yeah. hopefully we're making progress towards preventing things. So... That's a long answer, and I That's really good. don't have all the correct answers, but I think it needs to be kind of a region-by-region region or a state-by-state state thing for the most part. One of the things I, um, I was looking up, uh, accidental firearm deaths in 1981, there were about 1,900 accidental firearm deaths a year. 
And in 2013, it looks like there was about 500. So they've gone down, I mean, incredibly from 1,800, 1,900 to 500 a year. Now, 500 a year is still too many accidental deaths. Um, However, I sit there and I think there's 19,000 suicides by firearm a year. What would happen if we just focused on it? It's apparently we focused more on firearms and accidental firearms. So more people have triggers, more responsible people have gun safes. You know, they're they're putting the ammo in different places. Um, so I think focusing on gun safety, gun control, some of these things. In Utah, we talked a few days ago about with a legislator about um, teaching our students more what they should do when they come across a gun. There's new legislation. In fact, Mike, I need to get you connected with that uh, legislator because you'd be such a great um, advocate about what to do when the kids come across a gun. But it seems like instead of polarizing the issue, we could actually get together on it and just start solving it and, and you know, and fix it. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, and that's true. It, it's so it, – it, it has an answer. It, it's just a lot of times people use – dividing things like guns or abortion or whatever, they use them to be divisive when it really doesn't need to be that way. Um, you know, like you'd mentioned statistics, you know, a lot of people die from suicide with guns. Yeah. But, but accidental shootings like me, accidental shootings, there's not tons of them. Yeah. I mean, 500 is a lot. There's not tons of them. But I think a lot of it's a mental illness thing or a lot of it's a mindset or right. depression. And sometimes we can focus on those things that stop people from wanting to grab a gun. You know, I I think if somebody really absolutely wanted to find a gun, they could find one. Um, and so to me, just to go try to get rid of every gun right. is probably not the best prevention. But Well, then yeah, we, die by su- we die by knives, right? Or we, I mean, there's still murders in other countries. They just use different weapons. Oh, yeah, yeah. If somebody wants to hurt themselves or hurt somebody else, they'll find a way to do it. And, uh, you know, a lot of these accidents that happen in these places oftentimes happen where it is like a gun-free zone, where there was nobody carrying a concealed weapon. Um, you know, and again, I, yeah. I don't know if people are out there have a lot of different strong opinions, but for me, I'm just not a person that just wants to get rid of guns because I was shot. That's just not my personality. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's, and you you also have learned not to to make it about the gun, but to make it about the deeper issues like, you know, sometimes forgiving people, but sometimes educating and sometimes, um, you know, there are mental health issues. And like you were saying, I mean, a lot of the mass shootings we're finding out there's a major mental health component. And if you notice in a lot of the things like the, the, the president's latest legislation, there are background checks, but there's still not a really profound connection about how we're going to get people with mental health issues to not be able to have a gun. That's a that's a bridge almost too far that they don't quite know how to solve, so no one talks about it. Yeah, it's very complicated. You know, I had gun safety as a child. Yeah. I grew up hunting pheasants and whatnot, and I don't know all the details of my friend and what his knowledge base was, but I know this because I'd been around guns, because I'd hunted when I was 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. I can promise you if the tables were turned, I wouldn't have picked up that gun and pointed it at him. Yeah. So me actually being around a gun, not being as scared of it. Not, it's like if you're a brand-new driver and you're all panicked and you're frozen and you don't know how to handle the car and the steering wheel and you're, you're more dangerous. Whereas if you've driven and had experience and been through some training, 
you're, you should be a better driver. And that's kind of how guns are. I wonder if we shouldn't almost just take people through a little bit of gun training. Yeah. In fact, that is that legislation that the proposal is that uh, I think it's eighth grade kids or maybe even younger. He's trying to get it. All of them learn what to do when they come across a weapon, how to what they should do, how not to pick it up. Don't do this. Don't do that. Go get help. And also, um, if there's kind of a mass shooting situation going on, training the children what to do. So they don't necessarily, you know, run into places that might cause harm. I mean, it's it's really powerful. And I'll I'll send you an email um, with the connection because I think you'd be awesome on there. On I'd that, I love that. Thank you very much. Um, just one other side, I think that you could help us with all of this is uh, so kind of let's guns aside. Um, you you were dealt probably I can't imagine a more devastating blow to the psyche of a fourteen year old boy. And you've turned it into a career in a way. You've motivated a lot of people. Uh, life is still hard. I mean, no matter how motivational you are, you still get up and and slide into a wheelchair every day. Um, will you just talk, as we kind of wrap it up, talk about dealing with adversity and and turning it into something good? Okay, well, yeah, you know, and I don't uh, have the patent on this by any stretch. Um, I have run across amazing people out there, like your listeners, who blow me away with their resiliency. And I had no idea that they're dealing with what they're dealing with, you know, death or disability or depression or all these darn D words that get people. But I believe in the human spirit. I believe whenever a door closes, another one opens. I believe... Every day when I wake up and I have to transfer into that wheelchair, as you alluded to, that it can have some good. It can teach me some lessons. It can have some new opportunities. And so, you know, the last thing I would ever want to do is tell anybody they can't have a bad day. Hmm. It's okay. If you don't have a bad day, if you don't have the right to have feelings and emotions, you're not real. But I don't like it when people get cemented in a negative corner or they, they use their disability or whatever as an excuse it, it, it it's real it's there but they've got to figure out we've got to figure out a way to to deal with it to wake up to move forward and somehow if we can take those first, first few steps and realize life will go on after a divorce or whatever all of a sudden a year two or three years later we look back you know matt i look back 40 years now hmm. i got shot um would i change that day yes mm-hmm but if you'd seen what I'd seen, been where I'd been, knew what I knew, and felt what I'd felt, sometimes change and pain make us grow. Yeah. And change and pain create new uh, characters and opportunities. You know, when you have pain, if you attach a purpose to it, you will always come out the other side a better, stronger person. But when you're right in the middle of that divorce or that disability or death, it just seems so impossible. But anyway... That's we get great. ourselves positioned properly and believe that things will work out and be willing to talk about it and feel through it, somehow things will work out and make us better and stronger. So that's my little – Power stuff. Powerful, Mike. Um, again, go to his website, folks, MikeSchlappy.com. MikeSchlappy.com. You can uh, get his book, uh, Shot Happens. Uh, almost a swear word there, and <laughs> but we didn't even use it. Um, in fact, the book what's the what's the tagline on the book, Mike? Uh, it's titled "Shot Happens." Subtitles: I got shot. What's your problem? <laughs> so cool. <laughs> That's cool. And my kids look up to Mike so much. Um, he really is. You're a you're a 
just a pillar in the community. And your wife, Tammy, honestly, not to brag, seriously amazing, probably better than you. She is amazing. She's a big fan of yours. As I was sitting here on the phone call, she came in and took a little camera and took a picture of me. Oh, did she? That's how popular Matt Townsend is in our house. Were you wearing a shirt or no? Uh, It's kind of a nice-looking blue sweater here. Yeah, I got my dog on my lap. Oh, cute. You're awesome. Well, give her a hug. And, uh, folks, that's it. Mike Slappy, thanks for joining us, bud. Thanks. Appreciate you. I mean, honestly, and then we go divide the gunfight. Let's figure it out. We've dropped accidental shootings dramatically by working on it and educating it. Now let's go to suicides. Now let's go to violent crime and guns. Don't polarize it. You don't have to polarize it. It's not an either-or choice. Mike didn't have an either-or choice. He had to find a way to do both. How can I make a great life and be in a wheelchair? It's, it's how you handle it. You solve it with the and. How can I do this and that? Anyway, we'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's... It really is, I think, a, a testament to to humanity and to the ability of the human mind to take something bad and, and make it better. It's just our will. We can do it. And the idea that we can't improve the gun issue. And I get it. I get it. I, I'm from Utah where there are guns. I grew up shooting guns. I get it. Um, and I also get inner cities a different situation. I get it. However, you don't have to take away rights to create education. You don't have to take away rights to create and improve conditions and safety, to do background checks. You don't have to take away a lot of rights to simply um, understand what's going on with someone's mental health. There, there, there are answers, and some things just need to be tested. And instead, what we do is we kind of go to the extreme. Well, if we're going to if you're going to take my guns away, I mean, just one little background check automatically means eventually you're going to take my guns away. It doesn't. It doesn't. Well, it's on the road. Well, sure it is. Sure, I guess it's a very, 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 very long road. But if we could trust each other, which we can't because our political system is polarized, right? Um there's there's benefits. There's things that have happened with legislation that makes, you know, driving an automobile and all of the control and legislation around it, it makes it better. It makes it more valuable. It makes the value of your gun even go up because or the value of your car go up because you we can tell whose car belongs to who. I mean, you don't need to polarize it. And so please, as you're listening out there, if we're going to solve a problem like gun violence, you've got to address the whole issue, the mental health issue, the, the reality that there are – there is a – you know, there's, there's rights, constitutional rights that we have. Um, we, we have to admit and acknowledge the fact that there's also a great benefit of sport that comes with guns. Um, we have to admit that, that – uh, it's a complicated issue, and 
We also have to admit there's certain problems we're having with mass shootings and mental health issues. So it's complicated. But man, we're humans. We went to the moon. We can do this. We can solve it. So push back. Push back on your legislators on the state level. Get creative and let's start figuring out ways to do it on a state level that might be able to be handed up uh, nationally. Anyway, appreciate Mike Schlappy um, and his his great insight. We're going to take a break, come back uh, for a whole new hour, new ideas, new tools to help you find the good in the world. Uh, this is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, guiding you through life, giving you the information, the tools, Hopefully helping you see the good in the world and maybe some solutions while we're at it for how you can live a healthier, happier life. We'll just bring you the ideas. you got to decide if you're going to use them or not. You're not paying me enough to come do it for you. I'm not your Sherpa. you got to climb the mountain yourself. Hey, um, great, uh, great day today. Um, you would think it's, it's, you know, the end of the world Why is that? in Chino, California. Chino Hills. Oh, Chino Hills, California. I think there's a difference. There's a difference. Oh, you I'm don't want sure. Chino Valley. You don't want right. to go there. Right. But Chino Hills, they're celebrating one of their one of their peeps drew the big Powerball number. Maybe. Chino Hills. You could live anywhere. These are all people celebrating the fact that they lost. Yes. Maybe hundreds of dollars. The identity of the winners have not been released or confirmed or anything. They just know a ticket was sold at this location of a 7-Eleven in Chino Hills, California, one in Tennessee, and then one in Florida. Isn't that... Each state has laws that if you win a lottery, your identity must be made public. So we'll know who they are. Yeah. They're just just probably lawyering up. You want to be protected. You want to be careful. Uh, They're probably also freaking out. Did you call a lawyer? Is that the, one of the first moves is call a lawyer? No. I would call all of my family and <laughs> Dis- say, don't talk to me. Disown them all. Well, you wouldn't tell your, anyone. Yeah. I mean, would you Would, would you say, call a lawyer? Would you have someone like that? Yeah. I, I don't know if I'd call a lawyer. I don't know if you need a lawyer. Who would you call? I would call – actually, I would probably call – I would be call a, uh, a financial planner and like you just- a lawyer that could represent – because you have to go in and sign papers, and oh, yeah. and so I would probably I would lawyer up that way. I, I might even hire a press person to do all of the press. Okay, just because I you can make more mistakes in the first few minutes to get oh, your right. I don't. I wouldn't want to be known as the winner very long. You know no, what I mean? You want to get out. Yeah. You want to disappear again. But- Otherwise, the phones are just going to start ringing, and people are like, "Hey." My mom has gout. Remember in the third grade, I sat behind you? <laughs> do you remember I said, let's do that one business if we just had money? So, yeah, but I, I'd probably lawyer up, get ready, get my team, go in, do the deal. I'd follow. Um, if you had a friend that was a financial planner. I'd just hire him. You would consult that person? I'd probably consult my friends. I'd find a friend lawyer 
and a friend financial consultant. And I'd pay him, I'd prepay him $1,000. That's all they get. They do it as friends. But I, I'd, I'd, I'd be really leery because you're, you're going to go sign documents and they're probably going to say that they're going to want to use your image, your everything to promote because they just want to keep promoting lottery. That's part of the deal is they want to put you on publications. They want to put you on commercials. Look, you won this money because they want to get people excited like the, yeah. this, this ordinary person won. Well, look how people are excited in Chino Hills – and they all lost. <laughs> out there. Uh, there's people like on people's shoulders in the parking lot yeah. waving flags around. Like, but what? I wouldn't go quit. I mean, everybody, I, everyone's like, I'd quit in a second. I love my job. I wouldn't quit. I would pay to have the time moved to a better time for me. <laughs> so you'd have to be here at 6 in the morning, for heaven's sakes. You'd have to get up that early. What's the best time for a show? For me or for everyone else? I, I love this time of day. Do you really? Yeah. Get it, you, you get your work over with. You have the rest of the day to, to function. To do what? Whatever you want. Well, but if if you get up too early, you're not going to function the rest of the day. If you're – well, after a decade, you're cool with it. That's no problem okay. after 10 so years. so it gets easier. So I – well, you hit a wall probably about the fifth year, sixth year in. <laughs> and then after a while, it's just how you live. It's just who you are. Yeah, you just cope and move. Yeah. Just don't sit down. If you stop moving – you're going to fall asleep, so yeah, keep gonna, moving. That's, What's the better time of day for you? I would say I, like my, show, my show used to be on in 3 to 5, I think. Uh, I know. What was it? It was yeah. like 5 to 7. No, it was 3 to 5, three to five. Mountain. So 5 to 7 Eastern time. That was pretty nice. Okay. I don't know. It does, it's not about me. No. I didn't even win the lotto. <laughs> Apparently not. So I want to talk about it. So, uh, by the way, Florida is a winner, too. Florida, Tennessee, and California. Florida. The, we have all of those stories of the crazy people that come out of Florida, and yet they're out there winning. That's great. $500, $500 million. It's a lot of moo. After taxes, maybe half of that. Everyone so. always says after taxes. Yeah. That's why you get a tax man. Yeah. Um, apparently also 83, I believe, 82 or 83 other people will receive $1 million. Well, good job for them. Again, I don't believe the lotto's a healthy way to raise money. And they all say it's for the kids, it's for school. It's not. No. And if you don't believe us, go watch John Oliver's. Should I post that? Post that. Probably not. No, don't post that. It's John Oliver. But go look up John Oliver's work on lottos. Yeah, you'll you'll need to look that up yourself. It's kind of disappointing how little of the money actually gets to to the children. Yeah. It's sad. It's also sad to see how many lives are destroyed. And that actually is a perfect segue into uh, our next guest or our guest coming up today. Paul Cairns will be joining us. He is a professor that studied the placebo effect of newness. And a lot of us are so into new things like Christmas. We got the new toy, the new gadget, the new whatever. But he's actually found out how long that newness feel lasts and the placebo effect of it, it, that it's kind of a a fake concept. And he did it in relation to uh, video games. Mm -hmm. Because of the idea that there's always a new game. The next game. The next game. By the way, the same thing like when you think about your phone. The next phone. Next phone. I need the next phone. Next tablet. I need next the next computer, thing. Whatever, whatever it is that, that you, you're excited by. And, and then it wears off. And then I wonder how far he goes. Do you start seeing the, the flaws? Do you start thinking this isn't as – you know what I mean? Yeah, you start this, diminishing. It's probably the second they're pitching the next one. You, you, think, like, yeah. you think there's an issue with this device or game or whatever it is, product that has no problem whatsoever, but you're like, oh, there's a problem. This I need a new iPhone one. 6 is so – it's so old. It's so 18 months ago. <laughs> oh. 
It's so sad. Did you hear about the uh, Mexico's grand warlock? This yes. is bad news for Trump. <laughs> I, I didn't know they had a grand warlock. Oh, but sure. Every country has one. You need one, right? Uh, Mexico has a famous um, grand warlock. And he predicted Tuesday that the U.S. presidential hopeful Donald Trump will fail to reach the White House. The grand warlock. <laughs> I know. So the grand warlock, I guess he walks in and then he just... Waves his magic wand or... Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. The, he says the tycoon shouldn't worry, though, too much because the, the warlock forecasts um, that sometimes, you know, he gets stuff wrong. Yeah, sometimes I'm wrong. <laughs> so sure I am a male witch, but uh, honestly, I get stuff wrong. Despite a spotty record, Vasquez, his name, what was his name? I, where is it? There's Vasquez. They just call him, I guess, the Grand Warlock Vasquez. Has, a, has attracted a gaggle of journalists every year to hear his predictions. You know, sadly, he, he didn't see President Obama winning. He thought he'd lose the election in 2012. Hmm. And, um, you know, but Vasquez also said that the real estate magnet and reality TV star would move on to an unsuccessful independent candidacy, too. Hmm. So bad, bad news for Donald Trump. So – one, I, I, I found this story and included it in today's materials because there's a grand warlock in Mexico. Mm-hmm. I was unaware. And two, apparently he has a poor track record at his yeah. predictions, but people still go to talk to him about predictions. If you were a grand warlock, would you not have entered the the Powerball? Yeah. Duh. I mean, you should have a leg up on the competition, right? What were you thinking? You were you could have had it, and you you just make a trip up to Chino Hills and bada boom, bada bing. Uh, so anyway, if you need anything, call Mexico's Grand Warlock. We're gonna um, let's go to Terry. Terry, anything going on in the headlines around the rest of the world? There are tonight. There is a debate. Yay! The Republicans will meet for the sixth time to talk about the same stuff they talk about almost every day. Anyways, <laughs> but uh, Ted Cruz. He's supposed to be a debate aficionado. Yeah. Not aficionado, but Harvard. expert, right? Yeah. He says his reputation of an exhaustive, exhaustive preparation that dates back to his Princeton days. Oh, Princeton yeah, undergrad, Harvard. wasn't it? I think so. Cruz knows how to keep the moderators and competition right where he wants them, political reports. What then does the arguably best, most experienced debater in the GOP field do to warm up before a night like tonight? Stays at a Holiday Inn. No, it says on, a, on the day of the debate itself, Cruz aides say the senator simply wants to decompress with his wife Heidi and his two young daughters. He reads the Bible, hmm. they say, but also plays games on his iPhone. The current rotation includes Plants and Zombies, Zombies 2 and Tower Madness 2. Wow. Really? He, that's what they're saying. Okay. He plays games on I, Tower Madness. It's kind of a dumb game, but... You know, to each your hey, own. Hey, 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 don't judge another man's game. Ted Cruz will be sharing center stage with Donald Trump in North Charleston, South Carolina, beginning at 9 p.m. Eastern on Fox Business. Check your mm. local listings. Did you hear Ted Cruz didn't disclose his Goldman Sachs loans? Yes. Is that a big deal? Um, Seems no, like that. It's if you listen to the explanation from Ted Cruz, really boring. Theodore? Like, seriously, this is what we're fighting about right now. Okay. Uh, Republican presidential runner Donald Trump rejected the support of white nation- a white nationalist group in Iowa, but said Wednesday that he welcomes <laughs> but said Wednesday he welcomes the angry people who serve as a catalyst in his campaign to make America great again. <laughs> I welcome your angriness. 
In an interview on CNN, Trump said he would disavow the American National Super PAC's robocalls that ask Iowa Republican voters to cast a ballot for Trump because the country needs smart, well-educated white people who can assimilate to our culture. However, Trump, yeah, hmm. Trump linked their efforts to the outrage he's seen among voters. People are angry. They're angry at what's going on. Wow. And these guys are, you know, about white people. Alan Rickman. Yeah. Who I didn't know till this morning was in the Harry Potter movies. Snape. I haven't seen him. Uh, he, I knew him as Hans Gruber from Die Hard. He's the head of the, the terrorist kidnappers that are the bad guys in the movie. He, he died this morning at 69 of cancer. But apparently he's, uh, you start looking, he was the sheriff of Nottingham in the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves right. movie. Rasputin in a HBO production of uh, Rasputin. He's survived by his wife, whom he met in 1965 and married in 2012. <sighs> That's cancer. That's why Joe Biden's got to get on that. That's right. And uh, back to Oregon. Okay. Our uh, militia members are occupying to a wildlife Rancher refuge. Palooza. Now they are saying on Friday they're going to announce their exit plans. Mm-hmm. Um, a self-proclaimed U.S. Superior Court judge, U.S. Superior Court judge in extreme air quotes, <laughs> he's self-appointed, who has been involved in past property right disputes in other states, arrived Tuesday in Burns, Oregon, with plans to convene an extra-legal citizen's grand jury that he said will review evidence that public officials may have committed crimes. Bruce Doucette, a 54-year-old owner of a computer design and repair shop in Denver, told the Oregonian that he made the trip at the request of Harney County residents. He's, now, now all these people show up there saying the residents asked us, but they can't ever produce the resident yeah, which, to call which them. Which resident is asking it's you? It's interesting. He said that he met with the armed occupiers at the wildlife refuge to hear the evidence, which he called significant, that government officials have committed crimes. But he declined to say which officials or which crimes they discussed and said that a, a privately appointed grand jury of Harney County residents, not he as a self-appointed judge, would decide whether to charge anyone with a crime. The grand jury will convene in private and make its decisions in private, he says. The role of a superior court judge is not very glorified. All we do is write up what the local citizens decide, he said. His entry into the fray and claim to a special constitutional powers is the latest in an 11-day drama that has drawn a series of attention seekers, constitution-citing characters who say they can help Harney County residents solve their problems with the federal government. So we have a militia from Idaho. Mm -hmm. We have... Uh, what, Ammon Bundy from Nevada. Yeah. We have some lawyers from southern Utah who are mm-hmm. acting as the official spokespeople because Bundy can't really talk he to does, the media he can't well. speak for himself. And now we have a self-appointed superior court judge. To see, because they may have found crimes committed by the federal government. And apparently there's an exit plan on Friday. Does It seems like that uh, the self-appointed yes. judge would actually not have any power or authority in the real judicial system. Absolutely not. So just in the... Rancher Palooza judicial system. Yes, just at the federal rest stop that okay. they've occupied. It's complicated. The, the, it's so interesting. I mean, that's so let's just say all of, you know, let's say that they did find charges. It seems like those charges should go to the Justice Department. Just and then, think, think about what would possess you to think, I'm going to be a, a judge. I'm going to go up to this location and help. When no one has really asked me, mm-hmm. even though I claim, but I really don't think people in Harney County. I think you, it's a hobby. <laughs> you, you're, you're bored and you need to get up there. Oh, wow. Well, keep it up, guys. I guess soon they'll be announcing the, how they're going to withdraw. That'll be interesting. Um, let's uh, take a break. When we come back, we will be speaking with Dr. Paul Cairns um, about the placebo effect of newness. 
Think of all the new things you got for Christmas. And um, honestly, how long do you think you're going to be interested in them still? Any of them going to fade, do you predict? We'll be talking with the good professor about that. Stick with us, folks. The power of newness and uh, maybe how it drives us to consume. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, um, have you ever noticed that uh, when you get a new video game, for example, or an update on your phone, you you know, you know tend to think it works better or the game is better because simply it's the next version? Um, well, uh, our next guest, Dr. Paul Cairns, joins us. And um, with the new year coming around, we're all making New Year's resolutions. You know, maybe the new goal is to get that new car, that new computer, or you know, the new iPhone, but how long does the allure of your brand spanking new item uh, or choice actually last? Does new actually mean better? Dr. Paul Cairns joins us. He's teaching, he's a teacher um, at uh, the MSC in Human-Centered Interactive Technologies at the at the University of York. He joins us now live from New York, uh, or live from York, to talk about his recent study that uh, is called the placebo effect in digital games. Dr. Cairns, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. Great to have you here. And um, talk about this. Now, you're, you do a lot of work um, with uh, the interaction between, between humans and computers. And uh, what, what made you want to go discover this idea of the placebo effect in digital games? Okay, so I've been um, looking at digital games for about 10 years now. Um, I think they're a really uh, fascinating part of uh, modern technology, a part of modern life. Um, They're played really widely. And I think they're a really uh, just interesting phenomenon. And they have big effects on people. We we know we sometimes see the headlines of extreme effects. But actually, you know, a lot of people enjoy playing games, get a a lot out of it. So I've been studying this for a a long time. And... And, uh, so I was working with uh, my PhD student, Elena Denisova, uh, and we were talking about how people's expectations lead them to think certain games will provide certain things or they'll get certain things out of playing. And uh, I happened to be watching a program about uh, the placebo effect, and you, you may have come across this in yeah. the medical context. Yeah. So, so explain yeah. it. The med- that, that's where you, if you take a pill, some pills actually would contain, you know, the the pharmaceutical chemicals that you need, and then others are just like a sugar pill, but our brain tricks us to think that it's just as good as the other pill. That's exactly it. So you, you take something, the doctor gives you something, uh, and if, if the doctor tells you it's going to work, funnily enough, it does work, regardless of whether it's got the active ingredient that's, that's in there. Hmm. Um, and there's a lot of research about this. It's really very interesting. And I think the one thing that struck me, particularly the example on the program that I watched, um, was a cyclist who had been told that if he took this uh, this tablet, uh, it would improve his ability to um, focus and release energy from his body. Uh, and at the end of a training session, he actually beat his personal best. <laughs> and and it, it was there was nothing in the pill. Yeah, isn't that <laughs> um, interesting? And the, yeah, it's amazing. And the trainers said the idea of beating a personal best at the end of a training session is almost unheard of. You're normally exhausted, very tired. That's that's when you just sort of you're just really finishing your training. Right. So it just shows um, you the power of the mind. 
Uh, absolutely. It's, it, is, it is extremely uh, powerful. Now, what's interesting in the medical context is that um, if, you, if you've ever had a headache and taken a paracetamol, um, what happens is you kind of know what happens. Your body uh, responds to the paracetamol uh, drug, the active ingredient, and so you're, after a while you become conditioned to understand what taking a paracetamol cetamol does for your headache. Right. Um, and, of course, what it's really doing is exploiting natural pathways for pain relief within your body. A paracetamol really just is just boosting what you can naturally do. So one of the theories of how it works in the medical context is basically the idea of taking a paracetamol triggers the pathways within your body that would naturally help you relieve pain and therefore does actually relieve your headache that way. Hmm. So it's so really, but what? How did this get into your studies? I guess you were seeing uh, the interaction of a video game, and is there a way to insert a placebo effect that changes the value of the game? Is that what you were looking at? Well, that's it. So I was thinking, well, people are bringing their expectations. So having talked to Elaine already about expectations, sort of people are bringing their expectations. You know, this this next game is going to be fantastic, and you think. Really? Is that really the case? Or is it in some sense we're, we're telling ourselves what we expect from a new game and therefore we get it when we look for it? So this is, this is a, a form of, if you like, self-delivered placebo effect. Yeah. Well, it seemed um, like a lot so of people were doing that with Star Wars, right? That new movie coming, everyone's like, oh, it's going to be so good. It's going to be the... And it don't, I wonder if that has the same effect there because, you know, there's also going to be the Star Wars video game too. That's right. Now, that's a really interesting one because actually I, I, I was one of the people going, oh, I'm really looking forward to the new Star Wars. Yeah. Um, uh, but interesting, I think what is interesting there is that when you go back and uh, I've had the same experience when episode one came out. I, thought, oh, I was looking forward to it. I was disappointed by that film, but I wasn't disappointed by the new one. Hmm. And so I think, you know, the, to some extent, something has to be delivered. Yeah. To, to, you know, you, you, you can't be constantly duped. If you actually took something which actively gave you a headache instead of paracetamol, I think you wouldn't <laughs> fall for it. Right. Um, That's true, huh? Yeah. So, so there's got to be some sort of either delivery behind it or, or you're not easily able to tell what's going on. Um, so like with a sugar pill, you can't easily tell whether or not it's working. Uh, and so there's the opportunity for it to work. So how does this – I mean, is this, this seems more like um, a marketing ploy – with new technologies, how do, how do you like see it in the in, in human interaction with technology? Okay, um, so I think I think my first thing was with working with Elena was really to say, well, does does this work? If you just tell people about the underlying technology in the game, regardless of whether it's true or not, can we get people to have a better experience? And what we found was you can. Okay, and of course, immediately what you think is, well, is that what they're doing to us all the time with right. the advertising? Yeah. Um, and I have to say, at this point, I kind of go, well, that wasn't really what I was thinking about. Right. I was trying to understand expectations. But, you, of course, advertisers play on what you, what you hope you might get off the next new thing or um, uh, the experience they want to sell you uh, as part of the product. And I guess, to some extent, they are doing that. They are saying this new technology will have X, Y, Z in it, and that will make you have something that you didn't have before. Hmm. How do you see that it will – because so if it's not being used maybe by the advertising department, somebody that's designing a game um, could also, you know, find new technologies to insert into a game or new – you know, I I see it all the time with um, – what is the name of the new technology? I mean everyone's talking about the driving cars 
And oh, yeah. as we're talking about the driving cars, they, you know, that might be creating this placebo effect of this new technology's going to be life changing or incredible. Let's get into it. That's right. And I think, I think for me, the, in the design context, I think it's actually a word of caution to designers. Um, they may be thinking, well, you know, there's this new technology. I don't know, there's, there's lots of new artificial intelligence techniques coming in, in all the time from computer science. And they may go, oh, this new, this new AI technique, that's what we need to put in our game to make our game better. And I'm looking at that thinking, well, it might be, it might be really good. But even just telling somebody that there's this new AI technique might deliver the effect you're looking for, in which case, you know, you've got to be really clear. Are you really getting a better game when you say come to do the testing with players? Are you getting a better game because you've done a really good thing and made a new, new mm. game? Or is it really just how you've set up the testing environment and the players aren't, aren't, aren't really seeing the effect of this new technology, which you might have spent a lot of money and a lot of time investing in? So I think it's about a word of caution, which is, do you, you know, are you clear about what you're really testing when you come to, say, put a game in front of players and get their feedback? And so I think it's a little bit of caution there for designers. If you're not trying to fool people into buying your game, but really do want to do a genuine, honest job, you know, well, step back a bit and think about what you're trying to do. No, I love that idea because, yeah, like you were saying earlier, if they don't deliver, it's not – placebo doesn't work. I mean, something, you know, it's, it's got to be delivered. That's right. That's right. And, and if it's not happening, talk about, I mean, your work in the, you know, human interaction with technology, it's, there's just so many different ways. Um, and, and it seems like this is the cutting edge. This is the, the future. So it seems like a really powerful mix would be the psychological side of humans and, and, and then the design and the interaction side. It sounds like you're really into something that, uh, is going to have a really fruitful future. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really great area to, to work in because, um, you know, we are in, a, a, in an age of real technological advance, and it's, it's amazing. You know, there are things going on now which we couldn't really imagine uh, sort of 10 years ago. Um, I, I often, uh, my, my little boy, I've got a four-year-old boy, and he's, he's amazing because he's grown up with things like iPads and, and touchscreen phones and things. And I've seen him walk up to um, displays of just standard advertising in train stations and then touch the screen to try and get them to change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course they don't. But, yep. you know, I, I, I would never have dreamed of doing such a thing. Right. But, uh, you know, to a three or four-year-old, that's what you want to do. Oh, it's so um, true. Yeah, it's just amazing, isn't it? And so you look at that and go, well, this technology is changing sometimes really rapidly to the point where we, we don't really keep up very well. Um, but at the same time, I think what's, important to remember is that humans aren't changing a great deal you know we are still very much the people you know that with all the capabilities sort of physically and mentally that we had you know 100 years ago or even 2000 years ago uh, and this technology can both en enhance what we are able to do and that's really obvious in the, in the fact for instance we're having this phone call um, or uh, it can also kind of get in the way and kind of confuse us and, and we feel you know, a bit lost and at sea with all this technology as well. And I think you've got to really understand how humans, the, the sort of psychology we've got, how that interacts with these amazing technologies which are being produced all the time. Yeah, and, and that it's it's uh, the psychology, I think, isn't quite understood. And that's why I love that you're getting into this, because it seems like we as humans are so eager for the next new thing 
Um, and, and this is probably why we think it's going to be such a big deal, so ground changing and life changing. But um, the the flow of technology, it's never going to end. And in fact, it just it seems to be getting faster and the changes are faster. What 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 should we be doing as consumers to make sure we don't just get caught up in in chasing everybody's placebo effect? That's a really nice point. Um, I think you there's there's a lot of work in psychology about the psychological biases that we sort of automatically have. I, there's a there's lots of examples of this, but there's a nice one called anchoring. Um, so if I ask you what the population of uh, let's say Uganda is, whether it's more or less than seven million, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so you might want to give me an answer. What do you think? Uh, I don't, uh, more than seven million. Okay, so and and now have a guess for what how how what the population of Uganda is? Do you think uh, uh, Uganda maybe I don't know fifteen million? Right. Okay. So so that's that's a really simple question. It seems quite straightforward. And actually, the population of Uganda is somewhere around thirty-seven million. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, what I've done with you though is I gave you a number, and your brain has gone, "Oh, that number must be approximately correct." Interesting. Yeah. That's right. And then I tell you, think of another number, and you go, I'll, I'll not go too far away from that. Yeah, I don't want to go to 50 million. I was thinking exactly, maybe so 50, would... but then no, no, it can't exactly. be that. He gave me, he gave me seven. Interesting. That's right. And now this is an unconscious bias. And it's a well-known anchoring effect, and it's used in lots of ways. Car salesmen use it to say, well, this car, you know, it's typically worth 2,000. I'll give it to you for 1,700. And all of a sudden you think, oh, that's a great deal. That's a great deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, so we, we fall prey to these things, but one thing that is also established is if you know, there's an opportunity for a bias to play in, you can, you can think, ah, I've been given a number. There's an anchoring bias here. Let's not think about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's think more rationally. What do I know about the population of Uganda or the price of used cars? And so on. Yeah. So I think with with things like the placebo effect, you can say, well, okay, I can be duped by telling me this next new technology will be even better. But actually, now stop and think. Why would it be better? What 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 should I see for that improved technology? And if you like, it's a way of just putting the brakes on and going, does this mean anything? If it does mean anything, does it mean anything to me? Is hmm. it important to me to have that extra next step? And so you can just kind of step back and go, okay, well, maybe I don't need that. That's so true. How many times have I heard of the next like iPhone and I'm like, I love my phone. I love it. It does everything I need it to do. It's, I know how to use it. It's great. I love it. Then I hear, but then I'm still willing to like, yeah, but maybe I need the new one. Yeah. But I don't, so you're saying we need to stop and think, why? What will, how will it change me? What will it, what, what does it actually bring me that I would need and use. That's right. And I, and I remember myself, I, I'm, I'm relatively resistant to new technology anyway, but I, um, you know, I, I got a wow factor when you know, these iPhones and smartphones came out, but I resisted for a while. And then I saw a killer application. I was away on a conference and I, I hate being away from my family. And I saw a colleague who had one of these smartphones and she was in touch with her family and was connecting to them when she was several thousand miles away. Hmm. And I thought, I, I want that. Yeah. I don't want the phone. I want the ability to talk to my kids when I'm missing them, uh, you know, and my wife when I'm away at a conference. And then I got an iPhone. And yeah. That's, and and you, so you can see there, you, you, you look for the values you're getting as opposed to maybe it's just the, the next 
the next new shiny thing. How and how long did that wow factor last for you? I still get it. You still get it. I see because that's so core to your value system. That's right. You know, I still kind of think, oh, great, I can keep in touch now. And I've discovered I, I never used to text, and now I text because I can quickly drop my wife a note to say, hi, you know, I'm doing this or I'll catch you later or, or whatever. And I'm feeling in touch in a way that I, I wasn't previously. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I still get that, that wow every now and again. That is, I mean, that's fantastic. And it's from a, a researcher in the field of technology. <laughs> it's also interesting that a researcher that's researching human and computer interaction, you're not an early adopter of the technology. I, I think that's fantastic. Oh, well, good. I mean, I think, I think it's, it's not necessarily that I'm resistant to technology. I do think you know, we're able to do some really great things. I think possibly what is happening is that I'm overcoming my, you know, the, the bias, the natural bias to get to the new things. I'm just thinking, well, what would I really, what would I really enjoy getting out of this technology? Yeah. And if I don't see it, well, maybe there's something else I should be doing. I could be doing with my time or with my, with my money. I think it's it's we all need to do that, and I love the idea of slowing down our our thinking and actually questioning kind of a self reflective loop, a learning loop. Like, what, what will it really bring me? Will it really make me happier? Is this going to make a, a more positive change? When when you think of the future and your future research on the placebo effect in digital games, what's next in your research? What are you gonna What are you looking at next? I think we've 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 made a, a kind of really nice breakthrough um, with this piece of research, and of course, what you've then got to do is well see well where where else does it play out? That we've looked at one particular experience that comes of this, this sense of immersion and being well engaged within uh, within the the game, but you've got to look at perhaps other experiences, the sort of the the long term experience that people get out of the game, um, and Elena's already starting to think about that in her next experiments. Uh, and then you've also got to look at different games. Maybe there's things like um, these sort of games which had a, a long uh, shelf life, so World of Warcraft and what looks like League of Legends. You know, these are really big popular games. Are there things there that are sustaining people which aren't just bigger, newer, better, but there's other sort of forms of sustenance that they're providing? And how do they work and how are they playing out in other in other contexts as well? Hmm. I mean, I think the, the nice thing about games is that, you know, they are hugely varied but yet somehow they do connect with us in quite a profound way yeah and i think there's just there's just a really a lot to explore there and it's some of those also sound a little bit more like they're kind of they're more socially interactive you can work as yep. teams you can work with other people you solve problems i mean it's, that, it's that's right and i've done some work with a, a again another a doctoral student of mine matt hudson and we were looking at uh, people's sense of social relationships in games and how when they're playing games together how how they might feel more connected to their own team uh, as a result of playing against an opposing team and how that experience sort of uh you know builds builds them up or possibly gets in the way of their their relationships with their collaborators the people they're working with have you read there was some research that came out of Brigham Young University last year by uh, Sarah Coyne I believe about the the bonding how video games are a bonding tool with a father and a daughter and okay. and and also self-esteem builders with the daughter as she spends time with her dad. I, I haven't read that particular research, but I, I can well believe it. I think I think I have looked at some other stuff to do with uh, cross-generational play, so father-daughter, or particularly grandparents and children. Um, and I think they are a really good opportunity uh, for families to do something enjoyable together. And I think, unlike say maybe watching the television together, you're, you're co-present, but you're not really interacting. Right. Um, Playing a game together, much less if you were to play a board game or a card game, um, you know it could be a, a, 
really nice way to interact, but a, a digital game can offer you sort of both new adventures to play together. Often the adult has an, advent- an advantage in traditional games because they're just older and a bit smarter. Whereas with, with digital games, you, you can be playing on a level playing field and mm-hmm. that can be you know, really empowering for, for actually for both people involved. Uh, my kids love to play me in like NBA basketball on the... <laughs> right. Because they just think they're better than me. It's so rude. <laughs> uh, but are, are they better than you? <laughs> yeah, they really are. Um, uh, well, Paul, this is fascinating. Um, just as we wrap it up, I, I, just to have somebody of your expertise, um, I just want to ask you, and somebody that really loves being with his family, how do you keep technology you know, kind of as an additive tool in your family, not as the master? Um. I think it's vigilance. I think you've just got to keep an eye on things, you know, uh, watching television, playing games, using phones. These are these are nice things to do, but at the same time, you know, there are other things to do as well. There's, there's, there's going outside and playing in the garden. Uh, there's doing other activities which involve other people and, uh, you know, particularly for my children to get out and play with other children and do other things with them. And so it's just a case of going, well, you know, these are all good things that we've got in technology. Um, let's use them, but moderation. Yeah, it's not. It's not a very new message, really. <laughs> it, you know what? The funny thing is, it's the message we we are talking about on this show every day. It's moderation. Yeah, right. oh, it's just ancient wisdom, isn't it? It often is, isn't it? Oh, yeah. you know, it's very hard to uh, to teach people new things, really. It totally is. Well, Doctor uh, Paul Cairns, we appreciate you. Thank you for your insight, and thanks for being on the show today. You're very welcome. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Take care. Uh, again, uh, Doctor Cairns is. Um, uh, studies human-centered interactive technologies at the University of York. And, um, man, it's just cool to have the insight of you know people that are spending their day in, day out studying the depth of uh, technology. It's also interesting to know that just that little placebo effect, man, when you think, you just think the new thing is going to be so much more valuable Pay attention to that. You might be, uh, people might be selling you. And so really look at it. Take a deep, hard look at the games you're playing. Is the new technology, are the new technologies really positively impacting you? Or is it just a, you know, sales feature? We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, do a little coach's corner on uh, some of the ways that you can uh, connect and enable technology without disabling the family. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Ah, technology. Yes, I love technology. (laughs) Uh, A little Napoleon Dynamite there. Um, I love technology, and yet it's supposed to, you know, ideally increase some connectivity, right? These phones, all the technology should be helping us get closer with those we love. So in the Coach's Corner today, I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about how we can enable technology in our lives without disabling the family. And if the goal is connectivity, connectivity is defined like this. It's the state or quality of being connected, the ability to link and to communicate with others. So 
it, it doesn't just mean we get a good Wi-Fi signal. That That's great. That's probably the easy side of connectivity. The hard side is when you want to connect humans and make sure that we understand those around us and make sure that we listen and we pay attention. And so uh, let me give you some tools that might help your family in the age of technology and connectivity to connect a little bit more effectively and how to manage your technology use. One of the first principles and rules is look, look at your technology as a magnifying lens, not the boogeyman, right? Not the evil, dangerous, you know, cancer plague that is destroying our youth. Sure, the, it's impacting our kids a lot. But the, I, when I say it's a magnifying lens, technology really is your friend. It's not your enemy. Many would love to just sit there and blame technology for all of the problems in their lives, for the fact that their children are distant, for the fact that their kids don't get good grades, the fact that they're looking at stuff online that they shouldn't be seeing, for their overeating because they sit in front of TV or their, their obesity because they never exercise. But another way to look at technology is not just to blame it for everything, but maybe look at it as a magnifying lens, meaning what happens with technology is it's going to magnify your natural tendencies anyway. If, if you have a tendency to get a little lazy and not exercise, having technology and cable TV and Wi-Fi and Netflix is probably only going to magnify your inherent weakness. It does with me. If I love to just escape in a movie, then the technology is going to, you know, shine a light on that and grow and, and, and grow it and, and embolden it. So it's not necessarily the cause of your problems, but it is magnifying and exposing your biggest weaknesses. If you have a self-esteem weakness and getting online on Facebook Facebook may not just be driving and causing your self-esteem problems as you look at the neighbors who are all doing so much better than you. It's just magnifying the fact that you have kind of a natural inclination to have lower self-esteem. And that's how you use it to magnify the weakness. So make sure you're pointing that out and and focus as a family on and be real. Like Dr. Karens was saying, really look at yourself and ask, what am I doing with my technology that's that's harming me. And was the, is that not a problem if I didn't have the technology? Would I not naturally just find my way to waste that time anyway? So think of magnifying lens as, as, as a, think of technology as a magnifying lens, not as the boogeyman. Another rule, get better, not busy. One of the things that um, we, we spend a lot of time doing with our technology is we try to use it to just get more done. And the sad thing about getting more done is many times we spend all day doing things that we didn't need to do, that weren't even important to do. So instead of just using your your tools and your devices to get a lot more done, let's make sure we're actually improving, right? Let's make sure we're actually getting better. Make sure that you actually are changing and improving, not just being entertained. One of my children um, is on his phone constantly. And we sit there and we have discussions in our house. And out of nowhere, he pulls statistics. He pulls information. 
he pulls very relevant lessons and, and data that I had never known. And I ask him where he gets it, and he's like, oh, I saw that on YouTube. He actually uses YouTube to go learn. He knows so much, but he's learned it on YouTube. And, uh, you know, it used to be we would learn that in school. He knows so much. Uh, he can. He just sits there, yeah, well, the sun is this far from the, the earth and the earth is this far from. And he's just learned it on YouTube. It's not enough to just use the technology to keep us entertained and busy. Let's – and even just – chit-chatting and talking or finding the next great video that's moving and motivational. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But there's also a point that you you ought to be able to not have to go to your phone to escape, but instead go now implement what you're learning. Like the question I always ask uh, the people and the couples I work with, what's one thing right now, if you did it right now, would positively impact your life? What's one thing? Can you think of one thing? Let's say you've even, you've even thought about doing it for years. What's, what's that one thing? Well, look, you already know. There's something you can go do right now. Why aren't we doing that? I don't know. I'm busy. Well, you're not busy on Netflix. So what we might want to do is when we have that one thing, if we don't know how to do it, we don't know how to do it effectively, use your technology to go get ideas on how to do the one thing that you know you need to go do. Use your technology to be an alarm to get you up earlier to go do that one thing. Make sense? The goal, getting better, not just staying busy. The goal of technology is to help advance us as humans, make us more human, more humane, not just more busy. Another rule, maximize the micro moments. Research from Dr. Barbara Fredrickson, author of Love uh, 2.0, Creating Happiness and Health in Moments of Connection. She describes what she calls the power of the micro connections or moments of connection that are so important to our communication. Fredrickson's research suggests that love of another is not some constant, all-encompassing emotion we feel throughout the day, but instead love is a small micro-moment where we share a caring feeling or emotion. So when you think you love your family, loving of a family is not that's, – that's, that concept is not a constant concept because you're not constantly thinking about loving your family. That that love would be made up of micro moments throughout the day where in a loving way for a short period of time, you are connecting in and serving and taking care of your family. She argues it's the micro moments really that are the major drivers of health and can dramatically improve your use of technology. So why not use our technology to create more micro moments. Text your son, hey, do you want to go on a walk today? My son's on campus here at BYU. I'm asking him, do you want to go on a walk today? Micro moment. Hey, how, would, how did that test go? Micro moment. What did your friends say about whatever? Micro moment. So think of your life not just as big events. Well, we took our kids to Disneyland. That's so great. It might be better to have Days full of micro moments, just little moments here and there where you express your love, you show your love, you care. And last but not least, we need to power up our will, our willpower, right? So the final area we need to improve if we want to make our technology our servant, not our master, is we're going to have to start to to have some more willpower. 
And the fastest way I've ever found to grow willpower is to have some rules, some won't power, some things we just won't do. So if you want your kids to have more and more willpower with their phones, they need more rules. It sounds horrible, but the rules allow them to exercise their will and turn off the phone or put the phones away. Right? Turn off the TV. And the more they have to exercise turning off the TV when they don't want to, the willpower will grow. It's, you know, it's the ability to do something you don't want to do, but you do it because you have a higher need, higher purpose. And willpower, it's not just something we just talk about. It's something we can actually do. You could take a, have a regular technology fast. Where you could say every Sunday from morning till 5 o'clock at night, no technology. You can have a phone time when all the phones are turned off and turned in. In our house, we don't want the phones up in our kids' rooms. You might have a book time when only books can be uh, in the house. We're only reading books. We're not on our phones. You could have exercise times where maybe once in a while you go exercise as a family. You go play tennis as a family. You go do an activity as a family, and we put the phones away. Spend some time writing letters, visiting people, goal setting. But the simple rule is let's spend more time exercising will. And when you do that, they'll learn to power up. So the four rules, very basically, to help us connect better without destroying the family. Think magnifying lens, not boogeyman. Get better, not busy. Maximize the micro moments and power up your will. If you want more information on those, you can go to my uh, website. We'll post those on my blog at uh, matttownsend.com. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. That's the Coach's Corner. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information you need to grow healthier, happier lives. By the way, hour number three of the show. So if you've missed the first two hours, go download the BYU Radio app. And then you can go find the podcast. Later today when we post it. Later today. But you'll have 600 plus 654. everything before. 50. Is it 50 now? I don't know. Just keeps growing. I quit counting. I told Ben to count. keep counting. He said 35. 635. Mm. No, 35. Okay. Never mind. Ben... Ben, uh, ben number. just woke up. Ben's had a really long morning. Yeah, they updated the app, what, a few weeks ago? Yeah. Is that what it was? Maybe a month ago? Now you can go find any show we've ever done. So you just you can download the app, and then you can look up any topic, and so, we've interviewed someone. And they, they told me that, that it was every show. I'm like, really? Every, every single show. show? And you open the app, you find where the podcasts are, and you just start scrolling, and it just keeps going and going and Ten going pages. and going. I'm like, really? I've got things to do today. And I just, yeah. okay, there's but, 600. But big, you just pick the topic, like dating. Uh, you know, today we'll be talking about, you know, your New Year's resolutions to find love and to improve your love life this year. We've got a great guest. You can go into marriage. You can go into disciplining children. You can go into any issue. 
Today we did guns. Yeah. <sighs> I'm telling you. We're it's working hard. It's a huge thing. It's huge. Hey, um, by the way, today's also Organize Your Home Day. And uh, w- what better way to do that, by the way, than I'd get a shower schedule. If you have a roommate at college, make sure you guys have schedules for when you're, when's too early to shower and when's okay to shower. Because in Toronto, Canadian police responded to a report of a man assaulting his roommate for showering too early in the morning. Ooh, that was all the cologne bottles. Yeah, sounds like we tipped over his cologne. It's bad. It's going to smell. Toronto police operations did not report any charges nor information about the suspect or the victim, but posted about the incident on Twitter. Constable Greg Brister admitted to CBC News that such altercations are not the most effective use of police resources. (laughs) We ought not be controlling the showering schedule at the dorm. That's funny. <laughs> we want people to know uh, that, you know, when you need us, call us. I love law enforcement with a sense of humor. Yeah. That's not the best use of resources. Yeah. There, there's got to be a better use of us than me <laughs> saying, Larry, let him shower. Jimmy, shut the door. Put the shower curtain down. <laughs> what are you doing? He's using my towel. Yeah. That's tough stuff. Hey, uh, again, three people are have won the lotto. I mean, three Big winners. So lots of money. So it's probably not you. If you live in Florida, if you live in Tennessee, if you live in um, – what, what was the name? In Southern Cal, Chino Hills. In fact, we have audio. I think we have audio of the celebration outside the Chino Hills 7-Eleven. We heard the news and so we came down here to see who the winner was. Yeah. It's not, it's not us. <laughs> okay. Let's get it clear. It's not that lady. Yeah. So now what? We just got about, I don't know, 10 million more people to find out that it's not? And then we'll find out who it is. Apparently. Yeah. Just keeps going. And other states have not yet reported. So it could be more. Right. I mean, it's good stuff. There's also good news um, for uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. He's, he's legit. He's been nominated for an Academy Award, an Oscar. A lot of people are wondering, is he legit? He's totally legit. He's something. Revenant had 12 nominations. I mean, you ride a horse off a cliff, and all of a sudden you get nominated. Does that happen in the movie? I, don't know, I saw it in Did the you see it in the trailer? Mm-hmm. Huh. You get attacked by a bear? I just see a bear every time I watch the trailer. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio. The bear got supporting actor. That was one of the 12. He got a major bear hug from that bear. <laughs> Uh, anyway, he, he got the nod. Um, some others. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, what is her name? I'm looking at the thing right here. Jennifer Lawrence got nominated. For Joy. For Joy, the mop movie. The mop movie. Jennifer Lawrence, that's her fourth nomination. She's 25 years young. Four nominations. Holy cow. She has nowhere to go but down. Nowhere to go but down. Sylvester Stallone. Adrian, 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 nominated for Creed. Because he didn't do that. He didn't do that that time. <laughs> he didn't sit there and talk about Adrian. It's good stuff. I'm not really into this. I mean, it, sometimes you just feel like it's Hollywood celebrating Hollywood, but whatever. It's something. Hey, um, 
got a great guest coming up. Mario Cloutier will be joining us, and we're going to be talking about how to make your love life different this year. Maybe you should turn your New Year's resolutions into revolution. Hmm. <laughs> so we'll be talking about that. So uh, if you've got a, you know, if, if you're trying to pick up your your game, spice yeah. up the the life. Yeah, in the singles world. Okay. This is this is the interview for you. Maybe make some goals, set some yeah. mileposts to reach, and let go of some other stuff. Because hmm. there's a lot of times when you're single, you end up blaming things that aren't maybe the problem, you know? Okay. Like farmers only. Okay. You blame them. Yeah. They look really happy riding their tractors. But the fact is, you're not even a farmer. You could be, though. You may be barking up the wrong tree. I don't know. But don't blame something that's not the problem or you're just going to keep having the same problem. So we'll do that in a minute, too. We'll get to uh, BYU Sports Nation. But uh, first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the world? Tonight is the sixth Republican presidential can- or, uh, debate. They're going to discuss import. How, which, how are these debates different? Every debate, they talk about the same things, right? Well, they're, but they're, but they're, they're shrinking. Yeah, but not really. There's still <laughs> two debates. Yeah. It's not like we've had any significant attrition to the point where you have any idea what's going to happen. But we now have Theodore Cruz in the lead. I mean, he's he's up there. They're, they're within the, uh, the plus or minus error. margin of error. So the main debate for the leading candidate starts at 9 p.m. Eastern. The undercard starts at 6 p.m. Eastern. Both debates will be televised by Fox Business. The network also announced that it was partnering with cable and satellite providers to unbundle Fox Business Network, allowing it to be accessed by more subscribers regardless of their cable subscription. So if you hear Fox Business Network and you're like, I don't have that, you probably do tonight only. So jump in and... Hop in! Yeah. So the next Democratic debate, just so you know, is uh, Sunday night. In South Carolina, and they do that because Sunday night football is over. Mm. Football will be over by five or six. Tragedy. Or else there's really no point to have anything on Sunday. <laughs> Ted Cruz, you talked about this earlier. I told you it was boring, but I'll read it to you anyways. Ted Cruz did not disclose a loan from Goldman Sachs, where his wife works, which helped his 2012 successful Senate bid, according to the New York Times. In May 2012, Cruz put some $960,000 of his own personal funds into, a cam- into the campaign. In a number which eventually ballooned to $1.2 million, the money came from a low-interest loan from Goldman Sachs and another one from Citibank, totaling a maximum of, mil- of $1 million, which was later paid down. Neither of the loans appeared in reports filed with the Federal Election Commission. Mm. Like I said, boring. Boring, but... And he's already talked about this multiple times, and it just kind of doesn't yeah, look but right, but he says banks, it's no big deal. I mean, come on. Big bang. That's what yeah. I was going to say. It's like, it's, uh, whatever. It's politics. Uh, also, David Bowie. Yeah. He died earlier this uh-huh. week. He has been secretly cremated without a ceremony, according to his own wishes. Hmm. He wanted to, he told his friends and his wife that he wanted to leave this world without any fuss and that there was to be no funeral or public memorial. Wow. Just in and out. In March, what attributes to a public memorial will, be, will happen at Carnegie Hall. Tickets are said to be selling for more than $3,000 a person. Are you going? Uh, no. Okay. I'm a little busy that day. Okay. And in other news that I 
found we were just talking about this. Citing a rise in taunting by students, the Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association sent an email to school leaders across the state in December saying, in part, student groups, school administrators, and event managers should take immediate steps to correct this unsporting behavior. It listed examples of people screaming, airball, airball, scoreboard, (laughs) fundamentals, season's over, and there's a net there. In case you miss a shot, I guess. I know where you live! Among other chants that are associated, the association frowns upon. The the admonishment stayed mostly out of the public view until last week when a student athlete was suspended for five games over her choice of language on social media. Her post was retweeted more than 1,200 times. Local news reports about the punishment opened up scrutiny and of the chanting policy and unleashed a storm of debate and comment threads on social media. Some welcomed the call for civility, while others saw it as further evidence of the coddling of young Americans. Here we go again. But, I mean, it's we talk and we shouldn't taunt, we shouldn't bully, and then we get into a gymnasium yeah. when collectively as a group of herd mentality we taunt mob, I and think bully. mob mentality... Yeah, just overrides all common common sense. I think just you're right. go with it. It's it's fine. I mean, the guy feels horrible for missing the field goal. <laughs> I just think it's funny when you point it out. You know, <laughs> there's you miss a shot. There's a goalpost there. <laughs> you miss a shot, and a couple thousand people tell you about it. I think uh, that's kind of fun. I understand where they're coming from. Yeah, I guess that's where is bullying it, and taunting is. Is fine. it that big of a problem? Well, it, it, in, in the report, they don't cite any instance where it turned into something well, of an issue. Um, it's impacted the BYU-Utah rivalry. Well, that's different. Someone punched somebody in the face. Well, maybe that started because you made they made fun of him airballing. Well, maybe. Airball. But no one actually said that in any press conferences we saw. They just said that, you know, they don't want to do it anymore. They don't want to play. We're not in the same league. We're taking league. our ball and going home, and we're not in the same league yeah. as them, so it doesn't matter. It's... It's, we're gonna we're gonna bring on an expert to talk about this. I'm looking. I have several. Get on it. Make it happen. But you, that, that's the other thing that's interesting. You'll say find someone about sports psychology and sportsmanship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the big deal? And I'm like, huh. how hard is that? So I tossed it into the old Googles. Googly. Yeah. And, and you found someone already. We'll See? have them on soon. It's that simple. Well, in fact, let's ask the BYU Sports Nation about that. We will. Is that taunting? Is that bad sportsmanship? Or is that just part of the game? I have a feeling Jerem Jordan will have an idea on that one. We'll ask him in a few minutes. Uh, but before we do that, let's um, we're going to take a break, come back. When we come back, we'll be speaking with Mario Cloutier, who uh, wrote a really interesting article about um, five reasons to rethink your New Year's love resolutions and make them revolutions. It was in the Huffington Post. Interesting article if you're out there and you want to rethink your dating game. Uh, fun stuff from Mario Cloutier. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, you've been making your New Year's resolutions right And uh, you may have skipped over some of the romantic goals because you just, you know, they haven't gotten you anywhere in the past, let's say. Year after year, you want to find the one, but you feel like each year fails you. Or maybe you're you're even, like, uh, deciding to just, like, maybe give up on dating altogether. 
That's why we've invited our next guest uh, with us today. His name is Mario Cloutier. He's the author of Relovenship, Look Within to Love Again. And he's here today to teach us how we can turn our New Year's resolutions into revolutions and just maybe how to make 2016 the last year that you're going to be single. And uh, he's, uh, we're so excited to have him here today. Mario Cloutier, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, Matt. Thank you very much for having me. You bet. It's great to have you. And, you know, there's a ton of people out there every year, New Year's resolution. I'm going to find my partner this year. It's, I'm going to make it happen. What you in your article in the Huffington Post, you say five reasons to rethink your New Year's love resolutions and make them revolutions. What, what do you mean by that? Well, the reason why we, uh, we, we brought up that concept is that we, we truly believe that revolutions are more powerful because they're transformational by nature. You know, if you think of any revolution that happened in any society uh, through the ages, it really shook the foundations of each of those societies. So that's why we're, we're saying to people, you know, make that shift from resolutions to revolutions because it leads to real change that uh, won't allow you to repeat the same old patterns in your love life. That's right. And, I mean, it seems like – and I've, I work a lot in my coaching practice with with singles as well. And it's some of them eventually start getting really angry, hurt bitter, frustrated, and yet, and, and some of that might be playing a part in why, you know, maybe the revolution might help take that energy and, and let's make a real big change this year. I agree. I agree 100%. Talk about, uh, you've given us five revolutions. The first one you say is to stop the blaming game. What do you mean by that? Well, what we mean by that, uh, Matt, is that, um, you know, many of us, we get stuck in our past. And, uh, you know, we keep, we're very good at blaming ourselves for whatever happened. We keep beating ourselves up and we blame the others and we blame the circumstances for whatever happens. What we mean when we say that the love revolution, number one, should be stopping the blaming game is that we are where we are in our love life for a reason. So we need to take ownership for whatever happened and, and start forgiving ourselves first for whatever happened. Forgive the others. Now, we understand this may be a hard thing to do. You know, we're not saying that uh, you need to start hanging out with your ex or hmm. make him or her your BFF now. What we're saying is that you need to get to that place where you can truly forgive yourself for whatever happens, forgive the others, so that you can move on with your love life. That's critical. Yeah, I mean, and I guess uh, the blaming game, I guess it just keeps you stuck. Absolutely, 100%. Is it, I guess that's a natural part, right? We're in pain and we, you know, we probably just keep spinning in that pain. And, and the love revolution, number one, of stop the blaming game is to stop blaming yourself too, right? It's because sometimes we start thinking we're no good, that there's that we just, we're not worth having somebody to be with. Yes. And I can't stress enough the fact that, uh, you know, the uh, at the root of stopping the blaming game lies the, the principle that uh, we are 100% responsible for our results, our love life. It applies in our relationship. It applies in all areas of our life. So by taking that ownership and saying, listen, you know, I'll stop blaming what happened outside of me. I'll start looking inside of me for what happened, and I'll start taking accountability for whatever happens. It is the first step to get to your to your place of forgiveness because we also say that forgiveness is your is your free path to love. So you need to learn to forgive yourself and forgive the others so that you're not stuck in your path and you're not repeating the blaming game all the time. Mm. That is such great advice. Free path to love is through forgiveness. You wrote the article with your wife uh, Diane Cloutier, and 
is um, so it's interesting because this and your book um, these. These are probably just tried and tested principles, right? You, this came from your marriage, your life, your experience. Absolutely. Diane and I have been together as a couple for um, almost 18 years now. We've been married for 14-plus years. And um, uh, when we when we started doing our work, we wanted to achieve three goals, Matt. We wanted to talk from our own experiences because we thought that was important. We had been in relationships that uh, did not work out before. We had been in failed marriages and, and we found there was, there was a place out there from people who talk from experience. So we wanted to bring that forth. And also we wanted to bring forth a step-by-step methodology that we developed, that we apply in our own lives and in the lives of others. And we know it works. So that's what we wanted to do. And we found also uh, that it was important to talk uh, from a, uh, a feminine and masculine perspective when it comes to relationships because this may surprise people listening, but uh, men and women don't look at relationships the same way. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of different there, aren't we? It's so true. <laughs> Just a little bit. Hey, your second uh, love, Re- love revolution number two is titled, It's Not How, When, or Where, It's What. Uh, tell us about that revolution. Well, Matt, we live in a society that uh, seems to be all about instant gratification. You know, we, we, uh, we carry technology in our pocket that allows us to do all kinds of, of things in light speed fashion. So it seems when it comes to relationship, we expect the same thing. So we tend to look again for external uh, factors rather than looking for internal uh, factors. So what we're saying with that principle is that uh, watch, don't focus on where you'll find the hottest, trendiest, or most sought after place to meet your, your, your next love. What we're saying is that uh, focus on what you want and the how and the when will take care of itself. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, having a clearness of what your goal is and then keeping that top of mind, yeah, then you're not, you're not going to be surprised. You're not going to you're exactly. not going to have the what, the where or the, yeah. you're not going to have the where and the how, but, you know, choose the wrong what. And, and what we find funny is that a lot of people spend a lot of time trying, you know, planning what they want in certain areas of their life. You know, if they want to make a change in their wardrobe, they'll do all kinds of, uh, of things and focus on, on a lot of things to get to that place. Or if they're thinking of changing a car, they'll know precisely what they want before they go ahead and change. When it comes to uh, their love life, it's funny that people seem to go with the flow and don't take the time to step back a little and just try to get to that clear picture of what you want your next relationship to be. Uh, not only the physical attributes of the person, although that's important, what we're saying is that you know, focus on what you want the whole relationship to be, the whole package, and that mm. will bring you clarity. Because it also, yeah, it might, it might then show you where you maybe need to be looking. You know, I mean, like... Definitely. Because that's one of the things we see... Um, with uh, like in Utah, a lot of a lot of the LDS don't they don't we don't drink alcohol. So if you want somebody that doesn't drink, you're probably not going to be able to go to bars to find that person. So it, it makes their dating life hard. It's a single dating. It's a difficult life when you can't just go to you know events and and bars to to meet people or you know or whatever. If you don't want somebody, if you want somebody that's into museums, you might want to go to museums. And it sounds simplistic, Matt, but it's so true. And, and, and people need to learn to do that kind of uh, self-reflective analysis or, yeah. or reflection, if you will. No, I think that's great, great advice. Let's do this. Let's take a break, and uh, we'll, we'll come right back and finish the other three uh, revolutions that you wrote about in the Huffington Post. 
Um, again, we're speaking with Mario Cloutier, and he and his wife, Diane, have written uh, this uh, wonderful article. They've also written the book called Relovenship, Look Within to Love Again. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion about your New Year's revolutions and taking your love life back, putting it in your control. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. To uh, the the uh, Matt Townsend show, you know dating's hard. It's a tough thing, and it wears you out. And at some point, in all relationships, really, we've got to learn to look inward and do some self reflection, some self awareness. So whether you're single or married, I think a lot of these principles apply that we're talking about today. Uh, joining us is Mario Cloutier, and he and his wife Diane wrote a wonderful article in the Huffington Post titled Five Reasons to Rethink Your New Year's Love Resolutions and Make Them Revolutions. Um, and what he's teaching us, uh, very basic, but but I think important, essential steps to um, taking your, your love life back. First was love revolution number one, stop the blaming game, stop blaming yourself and others. Love revolution number two, it's not how, when, or where, it's what. you got to be clear about what you want uh, in your dating life, what you want uh, to be like, what you want the relationship to be like, not just how we go dating, when or where we date. The third love revolution is love revolution number three, self-reflection is not seasonal. Uh, Mario Cloutier, welcome back, and and help us understand what you mean by self-reflection is not seasonal. Well, thank you again for having me um, today, Matt. What we mean by the third love revolution, self-reflection is not seasonal, is that it's unfortunate that uh, many of us, we take the time to step back only once a year. You know, January comes, and uh, we we reflect on the year that has just gone by, and uh, we start thinking about uh, what we'd like to have uh, in, in the new year, and, and we make those resolutions uh, that I often call also, you know, just um, wishful thinking at the end yeah. of the day. And uh, it seems it's, it's not a new pattern. Uh, we shouldn't blame ourselves for that because it seems that this pattern has been ingrained in our society for the longest time. Ancient cultures did that as well. So it's kind of normal to do it, you know, when at the turn of a new year. What we're saying with that is that when it comes to your love life, don't make it seasonal. You know, if you want to shake things up in your love life, if you want to change things, Take the habit of, um, of, of reflecting on your life pattern more than once a year. Why, why don't make an appointment with yourself hmm. and, and block dates in the calendar, let's say, at the end of each quarter and say, okay, am I making progress here? Because at the end of the day, self-reflection is good, but what's even better is to, uh, is to take the time to step back and measure your progress. That's what self-reflection should be all about. So don't do it a seasonal thing when it comes to uh, your your love life. Make it like a uh, two, three, four times a year kind of thing hmm. that you block off in your calendar so that you can go back and re- really reassess what has happened in the last three, four, six months. Well, that's like it's that airplane example where a plane doesn't it only it doesn't self reflect on where it is in relation to where it's going. It, it, it doesn't do that just at the end at the final runway when they're about to land. 
they've been reflecting regularly to figure out, are we where we need to be to get where we want to go? So you're just saying if you're doing it once a year, there's a pretty good chance you're going to be way off course. Exactly. And this talks also about repeating the same the same patterns over and over again. You know, we, we, there's this uh, well-known saying that if you keep repeating the same stuff over and over again, don't expect different results. Yeah. So that talks to that as well. Okay, excellent. Uh, love revolution number four, who are your uplifters? Uh, what do you mean by that? What's an uplifter? Well, we're very strong on that. We also call uh, our uplifters our inner circle. You know, those are the people that are the closest to you. They know everything about you. They know uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, what we're saying is that if you are expecting to get to a place in your love life where you will experience bliss, where you will experience a, a, a long-lasting relationship, look at your uplifters or look at your inner circles and, and ask yourself the question, are they having the type of love life that I'm aiming, hmm. that I'm aiming for? Uh, do they inspire me to, to raise my bar to a higher level when it comes to, um, to their love life? And we're saying if the answer is no, well, maybe the time has come for you to shake up your inner circle or your uplifters a little bit. Because at the end of the day, we are often a reflection of the people that we hang out the most with. That's so true. And, I mean, yeah, if your role models aren't, you know, idyllic, um, I mean, you can have a great – you might have a parent that's a wonderful business person but not a great spouse. And so you're saying reach out and build a – Build an inner circle of of people that do have what you possess, what you want to possess. One hundred percent. That's powerful. And I mean, two. I've seen that. I mean, a lot of times the best referrals, the best you know likelihood of finding somebody you really care that you could care about is from your inner circle. Your inner circle, you know, they might be your best advocate too. I agree, and it's a principle, as you said, that applies in all areas of life. You know, if you want to improve any area of your in your life, look at the people that uh, you hang out the most with and ask yourself the question, are they at the place where I would like to be eventually? Mm-hmm. And if not, do the changes. Yeah. Do you suggest that we tell our uplifters where they are, that, that, we, that they're in our inner circle? Well, we talk in the, uh, we talk extensively about this principle in our book, and and we uh, we also have a principle that we call the presidential veto. And uh, <laughs> what it what that says is that uh, you know we want people to act uh, with decisiveness and leadership, and so act as uh, any good president of a country would do. They all have their inner circle. They all go to them for advice. You know, uh, whenever a piece of legislation is about to be voted in the country, they all go to their inner circle all the time. But at the end of the day, they are the person that owns the presidential veto. They are Mm -hmm. the person that can decide if they want to vote whatever advice they've gotten as a law or or a resolution in their country. So that's, um, we're very strong on that as well, Matt. We say to people, you need to have those uplifters, those uh, inner circle people around you. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're the president. So, so own your veto and, um, and, and validate if what you're getting as an advice can only be applied in your life. Mm-hmm. That's very important. Oh, I think that's great. Um, and your final love revolution, love revolution number five, is to define your deal breakers. So is that in a list? How do you, how do you define the deal breaker? Well, well, think of them as uh, unbreak, non, non-negotiable or non-breakable laws 
or rules that you want to have in your life. And the reason why it's so important is that it helps people uh, staying the course and being true to themselves and have clarity about what they want in the next relationship. So we talk about the deal breakers or personal laws, if you will, as stuff that you establish for yourself that is true in your own life. You know, one one example that we give is that if you're if you're a person that owns uh, two dogs, three cats, and a snake, well, you may want to attract a pet lover in your life. So you may <laughs> want to establish ahead of time, before you start dating, that you need that type of person as a personal law in your life. If I give you a personal example, for me, uh, in a previous marriage, I was married to an atheist, and it brought all kinds of challenges in my life. So moving ahead, I had established a whole set of personal laws or deal breakers, if you will, uh, in my life. And the one that was at the very top of the list was I needed to have someone in my life that shared the same faith as me hmm. because it was highly important for me if I wanted to move ahead. So that's why we say those define those deal breakers ahead of time. Yeah, you need to spend that self-reflection because if you try to do it after you're already enamored and caught up in all the chemistry, it's going to be a lot harder to say no. And I couldn't agree more. And it's going to make it a lot more painful. And what that does is that it helps people avoid settling for anything less than what they intend to attract or or bring in their life as an ideal mate. That's what it does. Yeah. Well, uh, I think this is great stuff, Mario. As we wrap it up, I always like to ask um, if there's one thing that um, a new or a single person should be thinking in January – about you know remaking their love life over this next year is there one thing that you say hands down and it might be one of the revolutions you've already shared what is the one thing that will make the biggest difference for their dating life this year i think the biggest difference uh, matt um without without hesitation is get to know who you are as a person what makes yourself unique and stay true to yourself very important we see a lot of compromising when someone starts dating a new person. We see people getting into what we call camouflaging, trying to pretend someone that they're not just to please the other. So make sure that you get to a place of getting to know who you are, what makes you unique, and stay true to yourself. Mm, it will good stuff. I mean, it really will. And the, the, the more time you spend in prep, the better time, the easier it'll be when you get there. Uh, well, we appreciate it. Uh, Mario Cloutier and your wife, Diane, we appreciate the article. Anybody that's interested, go, go check them out. Relovenship, relovenship.com, relovenship.com. And you can find out about their book, Relovenship, Look Within to Love Again. Mario Cloutier, great stuff. Thanks for joining us. We're going to take a break. And go visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show uh, that'll be uh, following this show at the top of the hour. So stick with us. We'll, uh, we'll give you a heads up on that. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Baby, don't hate my mustache. Come on now, give it a try. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, baby, don't hate my mustache. The theme song to our next uh, guest, BYU Sports Nation hosts, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. The mustache is in peril tonight for Jerem Jordan. This is scary. 
Is he uh, is he afraid to lose it, Jerem? Are you afraid that it's going to go bye bye? Am I afraid to lose it? Like mm-hmm. I'm afraid that BYU will win against Gonzaga. Yeah, are you I afraid? Want, that's what I want more than anything else in the world tonight. He wants to keep the mustache, and that all depends on if BYU wins I don't, tonight. I don't want to keep the mustache. I want BYU to win. But which means he will keep the mustache. Yeah, that doesn't mean I want it. This is I. I want them to win, and. I think wean. I think if, if they wean, we are going to have many, many more months of your mustache. It's like Groundhog Day. If the groundhog sees a win, a mustache, a mustache, we, we will have mustaches <laughs> for many more months. This is exciting, Phil, guys. Phil Connors. I love that show, and I'm glad you're acting it out, Phil. Hey, uh, I got some. We're two and a half weeks away, man. I have to ask you guys something because um, it just reminded me of you, a little bit of the BYU-Utah thing. Did you hear about what's going on with the Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association? Yes, I did. And ESPN's Jay Billis is on a full-on Twitter assault because of it. Is he real? Okay, okay. Yes. Okay, so, so let me just update. We talked about it earlier in the show. But um, a rise in taunting by students— at, at basketball games has now made the Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association. Interscholastic Athletic Association. W-I-A-A. The W-I-A-A nervous because student groups, school administrators, and event managers should take immediate steps to correct this unsporting behavior. And the taunting they're talking about is after somebody misses a shot, you know, yelling as a collective, air ball. Or scoreboard fundamentals. You can't do that. <laughs> hey, at, at Utah State, they do it. They do it right. Man. What do they do? Oh, if we someone turns it over, they say, mutter the "Stupid, stupid, <laughs> stupid." See, I think that's great. That's unsportsmanlike, according to the WIAA. Okay, you know what this sounds like? What? Did you know that in the '80s and prior to that, yeah, that the, the a referee in a football game could say the crowd is too loud; they need to be quieter. Quiet the crowd. Really? This happened. Yes. This was a common thing. And then at some point, someone's brain turned on, (laughs) and they stopped quieting crowds. Yeah. That's called home court field advantage, right? Yeah. But aren't we being rude? No, that's, that poor guy's self esteem. It's uh, it's part of the game. Like (laughs) the opposing way worse. The opposing teams still kind of enjoy it. It's funny. Like, (laughs) don't shoot an air ball. And you won't have that. It's not. Chance. Yeah, you're not going to be. I don't know. Yeah. What if I they made fun of your if mustache? We were an athletic team, and we went on the road. Someone would make fun of my mustache. Oh, for then sure. Then again, I wouldn't do it if we were a traveling road show, knowing that people were going to make fun of me too. <laughs> I wouldn't do the thing that would incur the verbal bullying, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. That's not. That's so, to me. That's not bullying. Though. So I mentioned Jay Billis of ESPN, yeah. who has like been really funny, but like fed up with this whole situation he sent out a picture of like a room full of nuns and was like this is an appropriate response according <laughs> to the WIAA for how demeanor should be handled That's at right. a high school basketball game well, there only- should be a level of decorum at these <laughs> contests only at the catholic schools would There's they like have 200 the nuns nuns in a room <laughs> all sitting with their arms folded they're all being reverent <laughs> i think that's great oh that is funny um so okay so, but it just seems like you know there's i i've heard of a university coach that won't play games because it they got a little rough i've heard Against of that physical nature yeah 
So Physical we're just nature. we're just maybe overprotecting the sport. Oh, anyway, we are, we are becoming soft. Well, you're going to have a great show on that topic. I know you are. One other thing, I just got to ask you, and then we I'll let you tell me about your show. Did you hear about the Brooklyn restaurant that's charging a hundred dollars for a donut topped with twenty four carat gold? It has twenty four carat gold flakes. Why, why would you eat like, it? Like carrots? Uh huh. Not like no, like yeah, like the the diamond, like or the the weight of gold carrot. Consume gold. Mm-hmm. Why would you? Why would you eat that? Well, because they're crunchy. They're yummy. It's got crystal icing. What? Why would you eat? What? It, it's gold. Now is it? Now is it? Someone chewing their cornflakes or whatever right now? Is no, that, uh, we're live testing. Or do, yeah, we're, yeah, we do. We're doing that? a live How taste does one test. Download chewing cereal. That's like, not cereal. That no, 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 no. That's Ben eating one of the donuts. That's pretty crunchy. It's a crunchy well, donut it does, because it's it gold. gold and crystals The, Matt, the on Matt Townsend it. Show budget cannot yeah. afford the donuts flying in from Brooklyn. What are you talking about? We've got the biggest budget in Provo. my dream. <laughs> I have no budget. You've got me. In Provo? Ugh. Don't we have like some... Yeah, biggest budget, in, biggest radio budget in Provo, Utah. Anyway, so I guess I'm not going to get you these donuts then? No, don't worry about it. Whatever. I, I would d- like a glazed donut that's 59 cents yeah, I'll, I'll from take, the creamery. Yeah, I'll take one. In fact, donut. if you want, they do have, um, uh, they'll put a, like an icing inside that's made of purple yams and a luxury jelly. I think it's frankincense and myrrh. Luxury jelly. Yeah. Doesn't Serendipity have like a thousand dollar milkshake or something yes. too in Ser- Las Vegas? Yeah. What's yeah, in yeah. that? Yeah. I think gold flakes and it's why? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's really? There. I bought it once. It really didn't oh. taste that good. <laughs> you bought it. I bought it for my family once. I had to sell my house. I now rent. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't eat for three months. But that milkshake was so good. <laughs> hey uh, guys, you still doing your show thing today? We are. What's up? It comes down to this. Do BYU's chances at an at-large berth into the NCAA tournament rest on beating Gonzaga on the road tonight? Yes. Yes! We'll tell you our opinion. It Um, may or may not surprise you. The WIAA does not support the way that the Zag feds are treating BYU in the kettle. (laughs) They were great, by the way. I was up there last year. I Uh, thought they were great fans. Yeah, yeah, they're great fans. They weren't. Now, Utah State, that's an, that's another conversation. We can't mutter some of the things that are said at Utah State. One of my producers yesterday was wearing a Gonzaga sweatshirt. Really? Mm-hmm. Fire him now. It's Fire a she, and I already Fire did. Fire her now. I fired her and confiscated her sweatshirt. Don't well, ask that's questions. a little much. No. Oh, BYU is going to win the national championship. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> You guys are so excited. Some of the fans sound like it's great. Anything else going on on the show? Got Trevor Maddich of ESPN. He's going to wrap up this whole Big 12 conversation, what it means for BYU that they voted and they can have a conference championship game with 10 teams now, so unlikely to expand for the time being. But mm. what does it mean for BYU now? What do they need to do? They need to kill Trevor it. Maddich weighs in. Yes. That's, you know, Coach Sataki has got to take it to the road. He just wants to get his other assistants right now and recruit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he better get on that. He don't care about Big 12 expansion. And speaking of Kalani's, we have the second most popular Kalani on BYU's campus right. on the show, Kalani Purcell of BYU Women's Basketball. <gasps> Number really? 10. Really? Excellent. The 10th leading rebounder in the United States of America. In She's the world? New Zealand. Wow. Probably, we're going to ask her who the most 
important and popular New Zealand BYU athlete is on campus. Okay, good. Her or the punter Johnny Linehan. Well, we know it's her. Come on. She could take him. Well, there's no question well, yeah, about well, that. Yeah, yeah, that part, yeah. It's yeah, not yeah, about yeah, whether yeah, she could yeah. take him or not. It's just who's more popular and important. Okay. Exactly. Oh, that's right. Okay. All right. Well, that's a great show. Always is. Well, and I, I appreciate you guys, you know, not caring about my desire <laughs> and the WIAA's desire to improve sportsmanship. Whatever. <laughs> what are you supposed to say? Oh, that was a nice effort out there by the opposing team. Uh, Try harder. Let's clap, let's clap for our team. Good job. Good effort. <laughs> Woo. Go banana. <laughs> you guys are great. Hey, uh, next time do some sound effects. Okay. We'll work on that. <laughs> Have a great show, gentlemen. <laughs> Thank you. You're the best. Take care. <laughs> out of here. They're great. You know, I'm telling you. They don't even need a soundtrack. They don't need buttons to push. They've got every sound just wrapped up into their brains. Ben, I'm going to send you down to do an internship with BYU Sports Nation. Are you on it? Yes, sir. And I want you to bring back incredible, like, aggressive, like, sound effects. Like that. That was one of mine. Is that one of your favorites? Okay, so uh, as we uh, wrap up the show, one of the things you know, we, we try to help everybody. We try to coach not just, you know, the healthy that, you know, that are that are on top of the game. Sometimes we even like to help some of the, the bad boys. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? A teenage would-be bank robber in Detroit found himself imprisoned and presumably regretting one of two life choices. Within seconds... Of being handed money at a bank on Monday, police spokesman says from the Detroit Free Press said that uh, told the Detroit Free Press that the 15-year-old gave a teller a note claiming he had a bomb and demanding money. As he left with the cash, the teller hit a button that trapped the youth between two sets of doors. <laughs> the secret security system known as a man trap, which is kind of scary. Keeps intruders caged until police arrive. Uh, according to the the police, you say, they say the teen who didn't have any explosives on him was taken to a juvenile detention facility. It's a trap. It's a trap because the only way he could have gotten out of being trapped in the man trap would have been using his explosives. Blasted. Where did I put my bomb? He was stuck. He was trapped, which is interesting because we did a story about a week ago about a man who felt similarly trapped, even though he was just pushing on a door that you had to pull on. So always check because it may not be a man trap. It just may be you are a man that is trapped because you're pushing on the pole door or pulling on the push door. Take your pick. Um, Another uh, crazy story that we got to get to, um, cops. uh, This is a really interesting story about how a kidnapped car salesman got pretty clever. Houston police say that two men kidnapped the salesman during a test drive and forced him into the trunk. Take out the papers and the trash. At some point, the man popped open the trunk from inside using the emergency latch. The two suspects got out, tried to put him back in the trunk. Says Houston police, get back in the trunk. He didn't feel like he wanted to go back in the trunk, so he got in a fight with them and was able to get the pistol away from one of the suspects. The carjackers then fled in the vehicle, leaving the salesman behind. 
But police say uh, they were able to track them down because the salesman deliberately left his phone in the trunk. Gotcha. They crashed the car after police chased uh, after the police chase and remained at large after fleeing on foot. The salesman was picked up while walking along the freeway and was being treated for injuries at the hospital. That's pretty gutsy. Got to be careful. Got to be careful. Hey, uh, our last uh, story of the day, always a hero story. We like to show you the good in the world. Who better to be the hero of today than a terrier dog from Orange, Massachusetts? Listen to this. After two dogs escaped from their owner's home, police were sent to wrangle them back in, but the dogs wouldn't let anyone close to them. One of the officers, Orange Officer Biselia, went back to the neighborhood attempting to find the dogs again. One of the dogs repeatedly ran up to Biselia, barking at him and, ins- and insisting the officer follow him. Biselia followed the dog through a field and to an embankment where the second dog had slid on the ice about 30 feet to the bottom of this embankment. The fire department was requested and they used a ladder to extend down the embankment and free the trapped dog in some overgrowth. A local police station praised the dog's heroism, comparing him to Lassie. According to Animal Control, the trapped dog did suffer a few minor injuries, but is now doing great. According to his, uh, or uh, because of his good buddy and fellow terrier, Chippy. Chippy the terrier dog. I don't know his name. I made that up. Anyway, uh, you know, there's even heroes in dogdom, which is good for all of us to know. Folks, life is good. May not always feel like it. May feel like you're behind uh, the eight ball sometimes, but don't give up. Just... Look for hope. You know, there's good in the world, uh, whether it's our dogs or the cops or the just the neighbor next door that's willing to help shovel you out of your snowstorm. There's good people out there, and you are one of them. We'll be back again tomorrow to help give you more ideas, more tools to find the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Until tomorrow, take care, and we'll talk again then. <laughs>